Hello, fellow kids, and welcome to episode 23 of Hello, Fellow Kids, featuring Cheez-It! Yeah! Hey, I don't know if you can hear anything. <laughs> He's being a lot more personable than he has in past episodes. It's a little odd. If I make him dance, he'll go away. Because <laughs> cats hate dancing. <laughs> it's, it's known. It is known. <laughs> <laughs> So this month we read to Happy Valentine's To all the boys I've loved before. <laughs> okay, tried to do a thing, didn't really. By work. Jenny Han. Well we're <laughs> also doing an actual Valentine's episode. Oh. Never mind. Which yeah. So we're gonna be doing To All the Boys I've Loved Before now and then in two weeks on Valentine's Day, when the uh, film for the second book releases, we're gonna be doing an episode on PS I Still Love You, the second book in the trilogy. Which I thought we were recording today, and I panic read five chapters. <laughs> he did cheesy thumbs up. Which you can't see. Because this, this is not a, a visual, visual medium. medium. Okay, so what did you think of To All the Boys I've Loved Before? It was one of those fun candy books that you're just like, I'm enjoying this, and you just keep consuming it. Yeah. Yeah, it's a fun candy book. I liked it. It's not the best we've read, but by far not the worst. Uh, but I don't really think it's middle ground either i'd say it's similar in level to like pumpkin heads but not quite the five stars for me okay just, just for it being like this is something like nice and relationshipy that doesn't set off my anxiety too badly so i'm enjoying right. myself right there wasn't a whole <laughs> lot of like the stakes weren't ever as nauseating as some of the other things yeah so, so I think I described it to you as uh, a like a whole wheat cupcake. Like it's got yes. a bit more substance there than a regular cupcake, but it's still a cupcake. It's still a very desserty book. Plus, it's a um, it's something we haven't experienced yet. It's an own voices book where a Korean American author is writing a book about a Korean American girl. Yeah, and we haven't really done that. It's yeah, this has been a very white podcast, so it was kind of nice to. Even though I read up on it and Jenny Han's gotten a lot of SHIT for having uh, Lara Jean fall in love with white boys. And she's like, oh, yeah. okay, that's that's good feedback, thanks. She wasn't all like, shut up! I right. like white people, you're racist against white people. And you're like, right. no, don't do that. Right. Don't do that. And she didn't. Yeah. I, I liked from that perspective, because then we do get to see a bit of like their Korean influence. Uh, in the second book as well, where I panicked read the first five <laughs> chapters you get to see a little bit about that because they get to see their extended family okay on the korean side sure yeah cool yeah so uh i don't know what else there is to really it's just it, that we liked it if you yeah. wanted to listen to this to hear us get our hate on for a couple hours i guess turn it off because we're not going to change your mind on hating it <laughs> yeah probably... go, go listen to titles again <laughs> <laughs> or uh the unicorn one <laughs> i got pretty vicious in that one because I was, you guys don't know, but uh, that day we recorded two episodes. I was very ill. And then I went to um, I went to Red Robin with Josh, and then I came back home, had a coughing fit, and was trying to drink tea, and then threw up into my mug of tea. <laughs> and it tasted. It was all <laughs> French fries. <laughs> oh. And I was so unhappy, and it, of course. There was a lot more than the mug could help, and so if you're ever if you're mad about anything I said on that podcast, I was probably feverish. Fair enough. 
Okay, so are we ready for To All the Boys I've Loved Before? Uh, yeah, but... There's a lot of chapters Yeah, it, it kind of Pattersons. There's 72 chapters over the course of, like, 300-something pages, so... <laughs> we're gonna do it in fairly big chunks in terms of chapter numbers. Um... I was just gonna stop when something momentous happens, so then we have something to discuss. Yeah. Can I read the little the little preface thing that kind of sets up her concept i'll cover it okay i was just I gonna read a word it. for word and be, like use that as the synopsis and be like if you like this concept check okay, it out then if i guess don't. i won't talk about this then and since i am largy he got really offended like i didn't get offended you i was surprised too. no i i it came off as offended you go i'm not the Lara Jean. i was just surprised because i don't ever put myself in the main character role i feel like that would be a little too mary sue of me to be like i'm conveniently always the one that's the main character in these books so i just assume that i'm gonna be some secondary character so I was to, like, oh, there's a Josh. Is Josh going to be the Josh? I'm like, no, Josh is not the Josh. So to stick me is <laughs> so to stick me in the main role, I was surprised about. I could count on one hand the number of times you've actually offended me. That being said, here is the base concept of this story. I like to save things. Not important things like whales or people or the environment. Silly things. Porcelain bells, the kind you get at souvenir shops. Cookie cutters you'll never use because who needs a cookie in the shape of a foot? Ribbons for my hair. Love letters. Of all the things I save, I guess you could say my love letters are my most prized possession. I keep my letters in a teal hat box my mom bought me from a vintage store downtown. They aren't love letters that someone else wrote for me. I don't have any of those. These are ones I've written. There's one for every boy I've ever loved. Five in all. When I write, I hold nothing back. I write like he'll never read it, because he never will. Every secret thought, every careful observation, everything I've saved up inside me, I put it all in the letter. When I'm done, I seal it, I address it. And then I put it back in my teal hat box. They're not love letters in the strictest sense of the word. My letters are for when I don't want to be in love anymore. They're for goodbye. Because after I write my letter, I'm no longer consumed by my all-consuming love. I can eat my cereal and not wonder if he likes bananas over his Cheerios too. I can sing along to love songs and not be singing them to him. If love is like a possession, maybe my letters are like my exorcisms. My letters set me free, or at least they're supposed to. And obviously, this is a story in which those letters never get read, and they stay completely secret for the entire time. It's the shortest book ever. <laughs> that was all of it. That was all of it. So stay tuned next month. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's get this show on the road then. So, chapter one. We meet most of Laura Jean's family as they watch TV together. There's Laura Jean's big sister, Margot, who's going off to college in Scotland, and Kitty, who's nine. With them is Margot's boyfriend, Josh, who's beloved by everyone in the family. Um, I've shortened her name to LJ in my notes because that's a big name to say every time and write out. So, I, okay, so LJ gets the idea to meet Margot in Paris for spring break, and the sisters discuss the practicalities of this. When Kitty pipes up about wanting to go too, LJ shoots her down as being too little, plus, after a misunderstanding, LJ tells everyone how gross Kitty is since she has to be begged to have proper hygiene. Margot diplomatically says that maybe it could be a family trip. Later that night, after Josh has gone home and Kitty's gone up to, gone up to bed still angry, Margot reveals that she's broken up with Josh. The girl's dead mother had once advised Margot not to go to college with a boyfriend, so she doesn't end up constantly crying on the phone and saying no to different opportunities. LJ points out that Josh has always been a supportive boyfriend and would never hold Margot back. But Margot's mind's made up. No more Josh. Chapter 2. The next morning finds LJ and Margot in the kitchen getting breakfast ready. 
LJ's having anxiety about how to make coffee since Margot's always made it, and hey, she's going away. It's revealed that Margot has a notebook with all necessary information for running a household, and goddammit, Margot's a mom junior. We get a little backstory about the girls, that their surnames are actually Covey, but all of them have the middle name Song after their Korean mother, but they all call themselves the Song Girls and Song Sisters and that kind of thing because they identify with that more. Their mom died when LJ was 10, Margot was 12, and Kitty was 3. Uh, she'd slipped on a slippery f- kitchen floor and hit her head and died of epidural he- hematoma like Natasha Richardson. Yeah, I researched that. I was just like, there was someone who died of that too. If you hit your head hard enough, then your brain just bleeds and bleeds and bleeds, and then that's it. You you die. So when you hit your head really hard, it's a good idea to get medical attention right away to make sure that that didn't happen. But she probably just thought, like, you know, I hit yeah. my head on the floor at home. Why, right. she's, why is it a big deal? And right. then just goes to sleep on the couch and... right doesn't wake up. So LJ tells Margot that their dad and Kitty will be devastated by the breakup with Josh. Margot says that she just won't tell them. And she doesn't. Once they come down for breakfast, the dad asking if when he buys steaks for their cookout, should he buy one for Josh? Nope. And Kitty's still mad at LJ. Hmm. <laughs> uh, chapter three. Margot still hasn't told the rest of the family about the breakup, and Kitty's gotten, gotten pretty insistent, wanting to know why he couldn't come to her swim meet. LJ makes up a BS story that he had an emergency shift at work. Then they distract her with frozen custard. LJ points out to Margot that it's the last time she'll have it before Thanksgiving. Margot corrects her and says she'll be home for Christmas, not Thanksgiving. And we find out that Margot's responsible for the bulk of Thanksgiving dinner. The dad can't lift a finger? I think I've just figured out why Margot's leaving the country for school. (laughs) (laughs) Chapter 4. This chapter, we meet Laura Jean's wild child BFF Chris, who says biatch unironically, so I don't like her. <laughs> you done? Yeah. Okay. It's just so matter of fact. <laughs> um, she hates Margot and says she controls LJ. Margot says Chris just uses LJ, breezing into their lives whenever she feels like it. Uh, that's worse than being a bossy older sister in my eyes. Plus, she sneers at LJ for working at a retirement home and having friend, uh, friendly relationships with the patients there. Are we supposed to like Chris? Cause I don't. Chapter five. <laughs> Um, on Margot's last night in the States, the sisters have a sleepover in Margot's room. Margot tells them to look after their father and reminds them to do stuff that I think a grown-ass man should be capable of just fine on his own, JFC. When, well, like, he has to get the car checked every month at this place, and here's the number, I'm just like, that's, that's him. That's not you. I just hate the Mom Junior trope. You guys know this, if you've listened to any of our episodes. (laughs) Anyway, when Kitty uh, drops off to sleep, Margot asks LJ if she's ever been in love and then bemoans the fact that she's only been in love once and that you should fall in love twice in high school. Where is she getting these arbitrary numbers and stats? <laughs> okay. Later that night, LJ wakes up and Margot's gone. She looks outside and she sees Margot and Josh talking. Margot's looking away and Josh is crying, so it's safe to say they have not reconciled. Uh, it's here that LJ tells us that she's loved once and that it was with Josh. This is not the big revelation it's intended to be. Sorry, LJ. I think we should stop there. Yeah. Because um, that's introduced pretty much all the major players with exceptions of a couple of the boys. And I have a question for you. Is this an alternate universe sequel to the Penderwicks? Where Batty was never born? No, Kitty is Batty. Kitty's Batty. Is there just no Jane? There's no Sky. There's no Sky. You're right. Because we've got... Uh, we've got... We've, we've got, got Margot... Nah. 
Margot is Ro- Rosalind. Ro- Rosalind. Rosalind, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then Jane is LJ, Jane the is writing LJ. thing, and then Kitty is... Throughout this whole thing, she is campaigning to get a dog for Christmas, and there's some, <laughs> there are some really great bits about that. Like, uh, we're in the living room, Kitty is pasting pictures of dogs to a giant piece of cardboard. When Daddy asks me what I want for Christmas, I'm just gonna say, pick any one of these breeds and we'll be good. <laughs> 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 That's like her through line through all this, is mm-hmm. doing that campaign. Yeah, on page three, I've already written, Kitty is the baddie of the song family. Um... <laughs> And then uh, page five, welcome to the Dead Moms Club. So, I yeah, this, and they have a dead mom and they have a dad who in some ways is fairly connected to that and then in other ways doesn't know how to be a grown-up. We're five chapters <laughs> in and we haven't actually really met him. Right. It's, Which it's, is, it's a while before he actually appears rather than just being referred to. Right. And that's kind of similar to like how with the first Penderwicks, we didn't get that great an idea of how he was as a dad because they were on vacation the whole time. And then the second one, we saw him in dad mode more. Yeah, he was definitely more dad. Yeah, so before we had a good idea of who the characters were, I was like, oh, there's a guy named Josh in here. I know. It was a ringer. That's not, that was not you. It was like in, in those old detective stories where they keep hinting that it's one person that's the bad guy and then it's actually this other guy all Yeah, yeah, along. Josh was the red herring. I was like, ah, Josh is going to be the Josh, right? And then further we got in, I'm like, no, not at all. Josh sucks. Well, you'll find out that Josh sucks. Maybe some people like Josh. I don't know. Personally, I think he sucks. I'm having fun saying this. It's <laughs> like, don't mean you. We'll read some book that has Amara in it who's a complete bitch. And I, we'll I, do, I do like that most of the characters are at least a bit more than one-dimensional. So even yeah. when somebody sucks, there's also some redeeming elements to them. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody that's is more true to life. Yeah, nobody is 100%. Crummy. Yeah. I mean, Jen comes kind of close. Right. Okay, are we ready? Yeah, I think so. Okay, so here we go with chapter six where we get the backstory on... Okay, so Laura, Jean, and Josh were friends first before he knew Margot, but then he announced that he liked someone and LJ knew it wasn't herself. And then one day Margot came home glowing and said Josh liked her. LJ pretended to be happy for her and then cried her eyes out later and wrote her letter to Josh. Then she was over it and never felt the same way about him. Back in the present, Margot returns to bed and cries quietly. LJ has a feeling this relationship isn't entirely over yet. Chapter 7. The next day they take Margot to the airport and LJ balls her eyes out, but Margot's cool and doesn't even want her family to come to the airport with her or see her to the security. I mean, I have this bad feeling she's going to crash hard later by not allowing herself a little leeway for emotions. And boy, was I smart. <laughs> <laughs> was that your Mara prediction? <laughs> yeah. LJ's still crying in the car, and though Kitty calls her a baby, they still hold hands. LJ ponders her own future and worries about Kitty and their dad all alone and figures she'll still go to school nearby so she can take care of them. Jesus. Um, Chapter 8. LJ gets a text from Chris telling her to come to the mall to see a jacket. Really, it's just a ruse to get her driving because she's nervous of driving. So she gets rolling, won't use GPS for some reason, gets lost, blows through a four-way stop, and gets hit by another car. Margot's car is damaged, but the other guy isn't, and the shitfuck takes advantage of her heightened emotional state and inexperience and just takes off. Uh, LJ calls Josh to come get her, and while she's waiting, her old friend and first kiss, Peter Kavinsky, pulls up. He makes sure she's okay and asks if she has AAA and offers to stay with her. Nah, she's good. Josh is coming. Kavinsky has to leave anyway. LJ's former friend Genevieve has him on a tight leash and is texting him to find out where he is. 
After he leaves, Josh pulls up and calls AAA. They wait in his car, and Josh tells her that Margo's going to kill her. She implores him not to tell, and he reminds her that he and Margo aren't talking buddies anymore. And LJ doesn't want to hear that shit. She wants a goddamn promise. So he promises. <laughs> <laughs> Josh wants to know if LJ had known the breakup was coming, and she truthfully says she didn't. He asks if he can still hang with the fam, and she tells him, of course he can. Uh, he says good because he didn't want to lose her, too, and she feels a little flutter of something, and uh-oh. Um, chapter 9, Margot calls from Scotland that night, and Kitty almost tells her about the car wreck, but doesn't when LJ tells her not to. She smells like, don't! And Kitty's like, oh, they got in a fight! <laughs> Later, LJ texts Chris to hang out, but doesn't get a chance, because sometimes Fairweather friends just be like that. Instead, she gets to work on a scrapbook for Margot, turning down a Ken Burns documentary with her father, in order to finish the Margot Josh page, and get going on a sister page that includes a picture of Kitty Pick Your Nose, which is pretty great. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> hey, Kitty, do you still have your pants? Sometimes. She's gouging in her nose. <laughs> Watch vines, people. Okay, chapter 10. So anyway, LJ's reading outside, and when Josh comes out for the mail, he walks over and invites LJ and Kitty to a Pixar movie, then rags on her for reading a trashy novel, so he lost me. Yeah, this is the point where I was like, Josh sucks. Don't kink shame your friends. <laughs> <laughs> kink shaming is my kink. <laughs> what about NASCAR? That's my favorite thing. <laughs> Watch vines, people. Yeah. Uh, anyway, at the movies, Kitty sits between them, Margot's old space, and LJ sits up front in the car with Josh, also Margot's old place. It all still feels comfortable and familiar, though. Uh, later, Chris calls LJ to tell her Kavinsky and his girlfriend, uh, who's Chris's cousin, have broken up. Jen found someone better, apparently. Thanks for sharing this vitally important info, Chris. And by all means, don't ask how LJ's doing after her car crash. <laughs> we get a little backstory on Chris, though, that she started partying and being distant after a boy started a rumor that they had sex in the locker room. Uh, Jen and Kavinsky put a stop to the rumors, but the damage was done. We probably better put a pin in this. All right, let's stop there. So I want to chat about... Should I just about... do it like five at a time? I mean, give or take, but yeah. If someone were to ask me what Josh looks like, I would say he's just ordinary. He looks like the kind of guy you'd expect to be good at computers, the kind of guy who calls comic books graphic novels. Okay, but there is actually a difference. That bugged me. There is. <laughs> Comics are like single issues, and graphic novels is like the like collected amount, or it's just one cohesive story. Yeah, exactly. It's like, that's... They, they are, are different. different. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jenny Han. I get where you're going with this, but I guess she meant that... He even knows the difference between comics and graphic novels. Right. Which still, especially, I mean, I guess this was 2014, but these days with Avengers being the biggest movie ever, that's kind of a common thing to know now, or at least more common. Speaking of it being 2014, why the heck doesn't she have GPS? Like, uh, she did. She just chose not to use it. She's like, now I'm not going to program it in. I'm like, maybe she said she felt stupid doing it. I'm like, stupid in front of who? Who's right. here? That just has, she has that level of self-consciousness about everything. Yeah. That, like, it's a, so we get kind of like a clue into her character that she, her self-consciousness is such a detriment to how she lives for anything. Right. But even without her using it, there are other situations, both in this scene and later, that are like, you could have solved this with a smartphone. Like, when she's trying to figure out where she is after the crash, maybe she could have pulled that up. Or, you know, they could have... She could have been like, here's my location, I'll send that to you, and then you can find it. Instead of looking around and then worrying about getting the numbers switched up and stuff, it's like, 
I just thought it was odd that it went that far. It's one of those, it, it becomes increasingly difficult to write certain scenes with the advent of technology, and so yeah. you have to figure out reasons to remove the technology also, or just write it. Also, I want to point out something, that usually uh, adults who write uh, young adult novels, when they write the stuff, uh, I, they, this is a, actually a point they brought up on Teen Creeps, that usually like their reference for stuff is about 15 to 20 years behind. Right. So she's probably kind of operating from when she was a teenager and like... I think she's around my age, Jenny Hunter, maybe a little older. So she was probably like a teenager and like around the same time I was, mm -hmm. which was like late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. Where we didn't have that. Anyway, so that's that's where I think that comes in. Sure. Yeah. It's particularly apparent if you read, uh, again, on Teen Creeps, they were just like, what are some of these things they're talking about? Were people still getting pinned in 1980? I don't think they were. That's what a 50s thing because Christopher Pike was a grown man writing teen books and I guess writing about what he knew rather than yeah. you know maybe investigating what kids were like at that time right especially when you've written several of them like you think somebody would have let you know hey that was good for your first try but just so you know teens be like this these days yeah so that's my explanation for that yeah I like what she said about how much of childhood is about proximity, like your best friends are yeah. either who you sat next to or who was on your block and things like that. And that reminded me of how, when I was really young, my best friends were the ones who lived on my block, and then we grew older, and they moved around and stuff, and they kept thinking of me as their best friend, and I didn't anymore. And so that was really awkward when we got to the point where it's like, I don't hate you or anything, but I'm not, I don't think of myself as being close to you the same way you think of yourself as being close to me. We haven't talked in three years. It just yeah. seems odd. Um, and that's part of why it becomes really difficult to have like social circles when you get older is because social circles were just thrown at you. Yeah. Everything about interacting with people was already built into everything. And then you go and you, you go choose a college and then you get a job and it's like, you're either hanging out with your coworkers or you have to make a huge effort to find other people to hang out with. Yeah, like, my friends were all the people that lived in the dorms, and then we didn't anymore. Yeah. yeah, I have one person that I still talk to that I met in college. They're on my Facebook. Right. I, I never really talk to them. I don't resent them being there, and it's nice to see what they're up to. Yeah. But they're, they're fine with their lives, and I'm fine with mine, so. Yeah. Chris reminds me of some people I knew in high school, oh, too. Oh, yeah, was, me too. <laughs> there was always one of those who just was kind of just there doing whatever and we just kind of come in and out and you're like where do you or do you just like you live still in a, go to school here do you just live <laughs> in a nearby tree or <laughs> she's the equivalent of like that kid in all of the the 90s sitcoms that would like climb through somebody's window yeah she's the <laughs> sam hey sam and clarissa explains it all yeah <laughs> i like clarissa explains it all i have the first season on dvd i don't know if they made any more seasons they on did? dvd no, no, I don't know about on DVD, but they did have more seasons. I like Clarice Explains. It's a good show. It That's is. a really cool theme song. Yeah. Na, 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 na. Okay. Chapter 11. <laughs> Chapter 11. Bankruptcy. <laughs> <laughs> That's a joke for all the grown-ups. Okay, so Josh comes over for dinner, and afterwards Kitty works on a collage of dogs she wants. Josh quizzes her on what dog she wants, and she wants a male Akita. That's a lot of wants in one sentence. Um, when he asks what she'd name him, she clams up, and LJ says she wants to name the dog after who she has a crush on. 
Josh eggs on the situation, insisting on knowing the name, and Kitty gets increasingly upset. Dude, read the fucking room. Everyone hears into you. Just stop. Anyway, Kitty storms away, and LJ's worried about retaliation. Good thing you don't have a box of secrets up in your room, LJ. (laughs) Josh thinks she's too young for crushes. What? And LJ says she had crushes at that age. Josh asks on who, and Josh is a nosy bastard. Mind your business, bitch. But she says Peter Kavinsky, and he's a huge dick about it. Apparently, LJ was his first crush until she crashed his scooter. Okay, another reason to be on my shit list. Don't tell someone you used to have a crush on someone. What are they supposed to do with that information? Either you make them uncomfortable, or you make them feel bad that you don't aren't in them presently. Just don't. That's where I stand on that. No, I think it's mean. That's, I've been told that like, like my whole life, like way after the fact, they're like, oh yeah, so-and-so and so-and-so had like a huge crush on you. I'm like, they couldn't say anything at the time. I was really down on myself at that time. I would have felt so much better knowing someone liked me. Yeah, I think... It just feels all like, no, I'm telling you to make myself feel better because now you don't have that power over me. And it's like, well, now I have weird uh, information I don't know what to do with. I, I mean, I feel differently with that just because the only situation I've been in with that is when the person and I are now good friends and we wouldn't want anything like that anyways. Just be like, oh, yeah, I, th- I thought you were cute when I first met you, but then we just kept hanging out and it was fine. And it's like, okay, I mean, I like where we're at now, so it's like it doesn't that matter that much, but I can definitely see how it would be awkward with other circumstances. How old were you when you had your first crush? I think I was... I don't know. Second grade? I've always had crushes. So I was like seven? No, it was like my whole life. Maybe it was... Uh, no, I, I got nothing. <laughs> I've always thought people were attractive. When I was in elementary school, we were in a uh, sort of experimental cooperative program within the school. So there was one class in each grade where the parents came in a lot. And the kids that were in that program would stay together so I had the same first grade classes second grade as third grade all the way up and so you know I didn't know a whole lot of other people so like if you had a crush on somebody you probably had a crush on them for like four or five years within that um and I remember that there was this girl there were like I think there were nine boys and like 15 or 16 girls in the class and there was a girl who, who had a crush on seven of the boys and I think I was one of the two that she didn't have a crush on Made sure to tell you that? No, I was okay with it. Okay. <laughs> she was the sort of person that I wasn't that into having a crush on me. <laughs> You're like, no, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> like, she's perfectly nice now, and, like, I, I just, that's not a thing that I ever had any interest in being engaged with. Um, but, yeah, I remember that there was always, there was always, like, the two guys that were, like, the one that everybody crushed on, and then the one that most people crushed on when they realized that the first one was unattainable. Yeah. Um, the more... <laughs> the, yeah, the kind of the slightly more duffish, not quite as, but <laughs> it's like the, the Kroger version. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it was like the cheese its and the cheese nips, you know. <laughs> um. Apparently, I I don't know. Like I found out about this like years and years later. But apparently, like, when I was in fifth grade, there was this, like, whole circle of little nerdy boys who apparently had a huge crush on me. I had no idea. I never spoke to any of these boys. I never, like, there was, like, one time where, like, my friend overheard one of them talking to the other mm-hmm. about me, but it was gross. And I remember looking over and the gross boy in particular, he's the gross boy who said the nasty thing about me. 
was the one who told me all about all the boys having a crush on me when we were, like, older. So he was the piece of shit who narked on all of them. <laughs> so, but, uh, yeah, apparently he said to one of the little nerdy boys, like, you want to get sexually friendly with Mara? We're fifth grade, dude. But I did develop early, so I think that was part of my appeal. was just like, dude, she's got tits. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> she, like, shifted her shirt and I saw her bra strap, you know? <laughs> like, that's probably... Where it was, because I've never been a raving beauty, so there was, like, I had that going for me. It was weird. And then I also got, like, a valentine that, <laughs> it was a Batman valentine, but it was a special, it, okay, you know when you buy the valentines, and then you had, like, um, they all pretty much looked this, there was, like, three or four, like, different variants or whatever, and then there were, like, a few special ones, like, one to give your best friend, maybe one for the teacher, then one for that special someone. Okay. I got the special someone one that was all, like, to Batgirl, will you be mine? And picture a Batgirl, and then it said Tamara, and then, like, question mark on from. And at the time, it just went over my head, I went, why? And, like, <laughs> And it wasn't until, like, my friend was going through, like, my Valentine's. I had a nosy bitch friend. She was the friend who told me what the boys had said. Where she knows, like, all about it. She's all like, so-and-so likes you. And, like, would be, like, really angry about it. Because no one liked her. And, uh... <laughs> yeah, she saw that. It was just like, um, this is, like, a secret admirer Valentine. And I was like, oh, is it? Okay. <laughs> I thought they just forgot their name. (laughs) I know. I was like, someone's stupid. (laughs) I'm the stupid one. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah, so that was was a weird time. So I guess that's where my complete rage came from. Like, I used to have a crush on you. And was like, don't ever tell me that. Tell me if you currently do, but don't tell me if you used to. Uh, unless you go, I used to have a crush on you. I still, I still do, do, but, but I, I used, used to, to too. too. <laughs> and that's okay. Because <laughs> then I'll laugh at the reference and be all like, thank you for being honest with me. Now I'm probably not going to talk to you anymore because now I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, like what would you have done if like somebody had actually admitted it at the time? Would Would you have been like, cool, or would you have been like, hmm. Well, at that time, there was a boy I liked. And he sure didn't like me, and I knew that wasn't going to happen. Yeah. That was like, we're like, he's the Macy's bag I'm not going to afford. That's nice to look at. I know it's never going to be mine. I'm making my peace with that. <laughs> like, <laughs> moved on. So it wasn't going to be Macy's bag, so I'm probably thinking of those little boys. There's one where it might have been okay, but he was like a weird religion where they don't like celebrate anything, so that wouldn't have been fun. But he was cute, so that would have been okay. But... All the other little boys were gross, and I would have been like, "This would be what I'd attract." <laughs> but she's got boobs. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> and she's got this really great butt, and she's always wearing leggings, so it's perfect. That's all. I think that was the basis of my appeal. I have. I think you were you were just. You... But the thing is, she doesn't really hang around and talk to boys. And she looks at you weird if you try to talk to her. <laughs> I think I shot myself in the foot with the fact that I always hung out with the girls. And so I don't think they saw me as like, no. you know, ooh, he's one of the boys who like is really, you know, he likes playing kickball and stuff like that. But I was just like, 
I don't care about kickball. I all the girls wanted to play like hot lava monster on the with like the bark chips and stuff, and I was like, that's way more engaging to me than team sports that I don't know anyways. Yeah, I remember the boys that were like that, and no, they were just sexless creatures. Yeah, no one saw them as like someone to have a crush on at all. Yeah, and I'm sure I'm like. I'm or if it turned out he did, like, Coulter likes me, we're all like, oh, no. Right. I'm sure there was <laughs> a window worse. where I was, like, really disappointed by that. But now that I'm older, I'm like, I don't care. I That's how I would have rather spent my recess than yeah. trying to pretend to be somebody right. I wasn't. Exactly. Um, Yeah. So, whatever. <sighs> <It's> chapter 11. <laughs> that was chapter 11. Let's do chapter 12 now. Um, Chapter 12. We get a flashback to how the girls uh, met Josh. He moved in next door and saw them in the backyard having a teddy bear tea party. LJ's idea, naturally. But Margot only took part because LJ framed it as an activity for Kitty. Kitty saw him watching and commanded him to come over and play with him. And he did. Thus began all three sisters having a weird simultaneous thing for him. I don't know, maybe he's just because he's safe? I don't know. Um, chapter 13. LJ feels guilty about her re-emerging Josh feelings and writes him another letter trying to work it out. She doesn't put it in her stash, but puts it in her diary since she hasn't she hasn't done figuring out her feelings yet. She's very in touch with her feelings. I, I like that about her. Chapter 14. Kitty's still mad about the crush teasing and doesn't want LJ talking to her. Josh texts LJ to ask if she wants to go for a bike ride, an activity that Margo's totally into, and LJ <laughs> blows him off saying she's got random chores to do. She has to be careful about the lies since he can look out the window and see what she's doing <laughs> or come over with chore-like objects like her rake to help out. Really funny to me. Okay, chapter fifteen. It's the first day of school, and LJ makes Kitty's favorite breakfast and lunch, and the ungrateful little brat doesn't appreciate it. Uh, the dad doesn't like the coffee she made either, so maybe he should be making it himself, like real adults do, and not be mothered by the children he's supposed to be raising. Just a thought. Okay. Uh, Josh picks LJ up for school, and he asks about Kitty's grudge. It's still in full force. Uh, LJ t- tells him about what uh, reparations she's made, and he tells her she's a good big sister. As good as Margot, she asks, and they both say no one's as good as Margot and I barf. (laughs) How many tea mugs worth of barf? (laughs) (laughs) Sixteen! Okay, sixteen is where it happens, where it finally happens. Cool. I mean, you don't feel like just have something happen while you're reading this because it goes really quick. It's just... Some people are going to get frustrated it's very, with it. It's very Slice, slice of life yeah. which I enjoy Slice of Life. I do too. Um, my favorite webcomics are all Slice of Life, because I'm going to get the big epic stuff from, like, superhero comics and everything anyways. All right, chapter 16. School's in full swing. She, she says, like, oh, yeah, school's been in for a week, so we're really in school now, because you kind of, like, futz around. Yeah. And, like, move. Yeah, so I was just like, that's a good point. That's true. Yeah, syllabus week. <laughs> right, that's what she said. Um, school's in full swing, and one day, Kavinsky confronts LJ and P.E. and says he doesn't have STDs, and he doesn't always eat the last piece of pizza. (laughs) I love that that's his level. Like, yes, yes, let's confront the STD accusation, but don't you tell me I eat the last piece of pizza. I mean, he has his priorities in order. (laughs) Like, I told Josh, I was just picturing Kavinsky just laying in bed that night stewing, like, saying, I eat the best piece of pizza. Like, I'm some greedy fatty. (laughs) That's so rude. Yeah, and then I was like, I bet he then ordered a pizza and ate everything but the last slice and just intentionally left it there, like, see? (laughs) See? (laughs) Okay. LJ's confused until he says he got her letter, and then, oh, God, the cringe. It's full-on Mike Birbiglia. Oh, no. (laughs) 
Um, somehow the letter from her hat box she'd written in middle school was mailed to him. She's horrified and says she wrote it a long time ago. Oh my God. And he's actually really nice about it. Uh, we get to read the letter and she accuses him of stealing her first kiss, which was unfair since everyone knew he and Jen were going to be together. And she accuses him of using his good looks to manipulate people and just breezing through life, expecting everything to be handed to him. The bitterness and hurt in this letter is so relatable. I had to stop reading for a bit. That's like how I felt about every beautiful boy. He's like, the world does not revolve around you you know what i'm not gonna cater to your bullshit and then like i kind of intentionally steered myself away from liking that type of boy yeah and i think that was better for me in the long run sure yeah (laughs) so they'd be all like oh yeah that's so-and-so he's the hot guy like everybody likes i'm like that's the obvious choice right yeah there there was always a couple of those girls where i was just like but why like i yeah i get that they're the hot one but that eh (laughs) there's a girl at my school who was the hot one and I don't think it was... Okay, she got to be the hot one, and she was, like, this weird tomboy who wore all these sporty-type clothes and the ugliest colors. And this was the color palette that was supposed to be cool. is like, ugly, like, pine green, maroon, navy blue, brown, and those are the colors that she would wear. So then all her little clique of, like, groupies wore it, too. And I was... Just, and so you weren't cool if you wore any colors. And I'd, I'd look at all these, like magazines at the time that had girls clothes that were just the cutest clothes in the world but you couldn't wear them to my school because you'd look like a nutcase because <laughs> everybody has to look like they were are like playing like uh, capture the flag in some military school like game and i don't know why this girl got to decide that and why we all like everyone just went with her because she sucked and her personality was garbage i don't know why everyone like she was pretty but was she that pretty no but I got in trouble for gossiping about her. <laughs> I got pulled into the office. But to be fair, what the guy said about her was pretty intense and I had to share it. He said if they were ever at a party together, they didn't end up doing it until it got nasty. I still don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember when your first kiss was? I was a really little kid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The first one that mattered was like I was an adult. Yeah. I think I was freshman, high school. No, I was I was a lot like Laura Jean. I just wanted to, I just wanted to stay at home and I wanted to like just be done with high school and like oh yeah leave. I remember leave. I just did not want to be part of anything. I remember uh, middle school graduation. Everybody was excited for high school and I was excited for college. I was like I have to wait through four years of crap where everybody is all clicky and gossipy and everything is nonsense and doesn't matter. So I can finally get to college where I'll actually learn things that I care about. Mm-hmm. God, I desperately wanted college. I did not want to do high school either. I just, I didn't want any part of this world. So I'm reading it, I'm like, oh, God. All right, chap. What? Oh, shit, hang on. When I brought this to uh, school and was working on it, I forgot my notebook, so I used a different notebook. Oh, right. <laughs> I was like, how did I get to chapter 23 from 16? I'm a great mother. All right, chapter 17. She fakes sick. Runs home, looks for her hat box, and then just sits down with ice cream and cries. Uh, <laughs> literally a <laughs> uh, Chapter 18. Uh, Dad may have thrown out the hat box like her roller skates. Wow, lack of boundaries much. Because she'd been saving the roller skates for Kitty. Uh, Josh comes over, so LJ panics and runs out the back door to hide in the neighbor's treehouse. <laughs> 
picturing it. Like, <laughs> jump the fence, and, the wall, <laughs> and like her legs going up into the thing when he pops out the back and goes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the second shoe disappears just as he turns and the camera focuses back in. I was hoping the movie would have that and it didn't. So, <clears throat> chapter nineteen. Hold on. Um, well, I want to I want to address just a couple things in seventeen eighteen, okay. and I think what I'll do is I'll just be flipping the pages as you're reading it, and I'll just let you know at the chapter if I have anything, because we have like sixty chapters to yeah, get through. Yeah, I was just like, please let me just do this. Um, I just wanted to call it that I liked in seventeen when it talks about going to John Ambrose McLaren's house and how it was one of our first boy girl hangouts on yeah. a weekend at night that felt purposeful, and I I remember that feeling of like going to something and being like. We're doing this this way on purpose, aren't we? And like, I wasn't the sort of person where anything was going to happen, but I just knew that t- for everybody else, it was like this was a thing. Like, we had a New Year's party that was like that, and like they're going to touch boobs, and I'm going like, to be playing video games. I, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. It was it was more that uh, the girls were dancing to sexy music videos, and I was oh, like, no. and I was like, this is a pretty good song. That <laughs> 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 way. <laughs> Uh, I think I've mentioned this before, but never ever donate someone else's stuff without yeah. asking them, mm-hmm. especially as a parent. That's, that is a huge invasion of like, we what covered li- that in doll bones. <laughs> yeah. What little they have as a person, like don't take that away from them. You yeah. know, they're still figuring plus, out what when, their identity is. Plus when you're a kid, you have so little control over everything around you anyway. Yeah, exactly. So don't take their stuff. Okay, go ahead. All right. Chapter 19. LJ decides to avoid Josh forever, at least until the whole letter thing dies down. Maybe it was never mailed to him, and the Kavinsky thing was just a fluke. All the same, her dad plans to swing by Goodwill that day and look for the hat box there. Uh, Chapter 20. Josh confronts LJ at school about the letter. She tells him she wrote it ages ago, and he manages to pinpoint it being written at least two years ago, which is ages in high school time. Come on. Yeah. Um, she begs him not to tell Margot and senses his possible interest in her, but she totally panics and says she's dating someone else, Kavinsky. And guess who goes cruising by at that moment? The man himself. She launches herself up into his arms, gives him a big ol' smooch. Luckily, he goes along with it. <laughs> Later, after P.E., she tries to talk to Kavinsky, but he gives her the brush off. At least until she tells him she doesn't like him and explains about the letters and liking Josh, but he can't know. Kavinsky proves he's pretty cool by laughing in a nice way about this nonsense and not calling her a psycho like a real teenage boy would. <laughs> I like that he's like, I'm a simple man. I feel lips. I kiss back. This is my way. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, she sounds cute. So it's just like, oh, well, okay. Right. Like, if I'd done it, he'd have thrown up. But, like, LJ's cute. They call her LJ in the movie, too. Okay. So I was like, good, it's not just me who's <laughs> lazy and just shortening this because I'm like, I'm not saying Lara Jean every time. Lara Jean. Tomb Raider. She wouldn't wear that tank top and stuff. She's like in a cardigan, a little dress with tights. She'd be she'd be like the new Lara Croft who actually wears pants and like an outfit that makes sense for going adventuring in. I like new Lara Croft. And she has her hair braided in a crown that Kitty did for her. She's like, <laughs> okay, come on, Peter, we're gonna do this. <laughs> and he's like, did you even like bring water? She's like, yeah, it's in the sparkling water bottle. And it's just like. Covey, you're killing me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'm almost trying to do, like, the boy's voice from the movie. They picked a really great Kavinsky. I think, actually, I like movie Kavinsky better than the book Kavinsky. Really? Yeah. He just brings something to it. Like, he plays it like he's liked her all along, but the Genevieve thing just kind of happened to him and he fell into it. Right. But, like, his initial interest was in Lara Jean. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's very cute. I I like him. 
And I was just like, oh, he's such a little boy because he's like 23. Right. And he was like, I think he was like 20 or 21 when they filmed it. So I was just all like. I finally crossed the point. I finally crossed the point where even the people that are too old to be playing high school characters are actually younger than me now. Yeah, Because there was are. a point where it was uh-huh. like, it was I know they're older than high school, but I'm still kind of around their same age, so I can kind of feel it. And now I'm like, nope, they're actually kids now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Chapter 21. Chris calls LJ to confirm that the Kavinsky kiss happened. She doesn't explain about the letters, which is probably a good call. Chris warns her to look out for Jen, who, despite dumping Kavinsky, still thinks she owns him. All by herself on a Saturday night, LJ organizes her shoes. <laughs> Um, in chapter 21. Okay. Did you run up to Kavinsky and kiss him like a maniac? I closed my eyes and whimper. I wish I could say no because I'm not the kind of person to do that. But I did do it, so I guess I am. And that's a really good point because when people... I think that's a really common trope when you talk about, like, cheating and stuff. It's like, you know, I'm not the sort of person that would cheat on you after they cheat on you. It's like, well, yes, you are. Yeah, you did. Maybe in a better, like, mental state you wouldn't do it, but you are the person who is capable of that with the right circumstances. Yes. So acknowledge that and figure out how to fix that as opposed to denying the fact that you could ever do it when we just watched you do it. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, chapter 22. Kitty teases LJ about staying at home by herself and says if she got out more, she wouldn't miss Margot so much. Then their dad comes in with a return to sender letter for LJ. One of the letters is to the boy named Kenny she met at camp one year. The first of the letters. Phew. <laughs> okay, chapter 20. I'm finally back to my normal notebook. Oh, but but she asks how bad uh, Kitty misses Margot, and she says, a 6.5. <laughs> Only a 6.5? Yeah, I've been really busy. Really busy. <laughs> I, I like that Kitty just like pops in and just has her little Kittyisms and yeah. then just kind of pops back out for a couple chapters. So in the film, uh, Kitty, I told you they aged her up. She's not nine. Yeah, she's, she's like, like 12. twelve. And uh, she's like, Laura Jean, you should go out to parties and stuff. And she's all like, uh, but I'm doing this with you. And uh, Kitty goes, I'm twelve years old and I canceled plans to be here with you tonight. <laughs> <laughs> pretty good line i laughed pretty hard the kitty they picked i really liked the kitty they picked for the movie and she looks like a josh like if josh was a 12 year old biracial child (laughs) with straight hair you have to see her i'm just like this yeah this looks like josh because that's changing quite a few elements of my visual features but you just need to see the hair and then just this the overdone dorky grin yeah pretty much like when uh kavinsky pulls up in front of their because she's all like can you please just man up and learn to drive and right. she's like i got a ride for us and they like kavinsky pulls up in this big ass car and like kind of pops out top he's like hey and then kitty goes hell yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's worth watching you gotta watch this okay chapter 23 LJ's dad makes Korean food for dinner and suggests inviting Josh over. LJ lies and says he's busy, but Josh has a Korean food sixth sense and decks LJ, which Kitty sees and shouts that Josh wants to be there. Uh, LJ drops the bomb that Josh and Margot broke up, which Kitty knows, but it's news to the dad. The dad says that Josh and Margot might get back together, and they couldn't count Josh out quite yet. Later, LJ walks the neighbor's dog and Josh catches up with her, asking how things are with Kavinsky. 
LJ has a story ready about how they broke up, and Josh looks at her weird. Turns out Kavinsky was at the bookstore where Josh works, talking about how great things are with LJ and how much he likes her. Then he puts his foot in it, saying how weird it was since Kavinsky's hot and popular and LJ's a homebody. She interprets this as homely and storms away, <laughs> and storms away, pretending to get a call from Kavinsky. I didn't say homely. I said I like to. I said you like to be at home. Um. Also, uh, Kitty had a movie on TV that she was waiting to see, which is, again, another one of those things where I'm like, it's 2014, I refuse to believe that you don't have any sort of DVR or on-demand yeah. or Netflix, Hulu, Amazon You can even pirating. Just, even if you're live-watching live TV, you can pause it. Yeah. Yeah, my TV has that, and that's... I've, <laughs> And I'm far behind on everything. No, I, just, new, I still have a flip phone. Listen, the new Madonna video is premiering at 11.30 and I have to watch the We movie. have to hang out at 11 to watch it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I noticed that too. So yeah, Jenny Han is like older and uh, forgetting stuff. No, that's not what I mean. <laughs> well, I said, she's like writing stuff from like how she remembers her teen yeah. years being. Which I would totally be this way too. Okay. Um... Chapter 24. At school, LJ and Kavinsky discuss their fake relationship. LJ's concerned because Kavinsky and Jen broke up once, and when he dated another girl, Jen ruined that girl's life. Uh, Kavinsky denies that Jen was behind all that, but dude, come on, of course it was. Uh, Kavinsky's into continuing their fake relationship to send a message to Jen, but LJ's not completely into it, until Kavinsky says Josh completely bought the story. Ding! One fake relationship coming up. (laughs) Every stolen breath, every stolen breath. But seriously, we just talked about one of these fake relationship. Yeah, in every stolen breath, they were pretending for the for the so that she could be the the mayor's son or whatever. Oh, okay. Like so, because they were playing up the media. Yeah, to distract from the fact that she, what what was she even doing there in the first place? Yeah, it didn't really take though. Right, <laughs> and then this one is like. I only believed that it was fake for maybe, like, two chapters, and I'm like, oh, they're just dating, and they both don't want to acknowledge that they're really dating. No, like, like I read a lot of fan fiction, and one of my favorite tropes is the fake dating, so I didn't know this was going to be a fake dating book. So when I got to that, I'm like, yes! 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 <laughs> <laughs> this is my shit! <laughs> I am up! Where's all, all in? <laughs> I'm pushing all my chips across the table. I'm like, I'm so... I so love this shit. And it oh, it works best if you come from a part where they're, they're each kind of just like, well, I mean, if it really happened, I wouldn't mind. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm okay with it. And like, I always thought he was cute, but... Right. No. Yeah, because that way you have that little spark of something that actually, like, when they start right. acting like they're a couple. It's fun. Um, I like it. She has a salient point about how Peter and Jen were each other's firsts. So that's why you can't let each other go. I've heard that's how it is with firsts, especially with guys. I think she's specifically referring to... Boning? Yeah. Yeah. But I think that same thing applies to just, like, your first serious emotional connection with somebody. Mm -hmm. And I don't... I'm not a girl, so I don't know if it is the same for girls, but it's super strong with at least me as a guy. Like, that sort of thing just lingers inside of you. I'm happily divorced from my first love, so I think I'm okay. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean... (laughs) In the in the three years I've known you, the nicest thing that you've really said about the whole thing is that you got a better last name <laughs> that people can pronounce. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, chapter twenty-five. Uh, they debut their new relationship at school the next day, and boy, does it go wrong. <laughs> he drives. Uh, she takes the bus, so they show up separately, which is weird. Uh, then they hold hands, and it gets too sweaty, and I go relatable. <laughs> 
I have really gross swamp sweaty hands. Like my my ex would like a little hold hands with me and go like, and I'm like I'm sorry. <laughs> Like, and I'd be, like, running around, like, can we hold hands? And like, I don't know. <laughs> Which, can't get mad about that. Right. <laughs> I'm like, all right, fair. And sometimes, a few times, I've been like, can we hold hands? I promise it's not grubby. <laughs> and then, like, there'd be, like, the test touch. And, like, okay. <laughs> For a little bit. And then I'd just, like, I'm just too warm all the time anyway, so yeah. I just get... People are like that. My resting temperature is way higher than... Yeah. I... It's got me out of school a couple times. So I, if I just fake <laughs> sick, and then like the nurse takes my temperature and goes, oh, you got a fever. I'm like, ah, fever. I straight up don't need to turn the heat on <coughs> in, our, uh, in our bedroom because uh, my girlfriend sleeps like a furnace, and so she just by herself will generate enough body heat to warm the entire room. <laughs> so we're saving a lot. On our heating bill this winter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Usually, if I, 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 I've always had friends who are like, "I'm cold all the time. I'm always cold." Then I go like, hold my hand out. They take my hand like, "Oh my god, you're so warm!" I'm like all the time, bitch. <laughs> so I like take their poor little cold hands and like, okay, there you go. And they're like, thank you. That's and so generous. Just, and I'm just like, get some fucking gloves. <laughs> it's winter. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Uh, then Kavinsky dives in for a kiss, and LJ's like, what? No! And they smash foreheads. <laughs> just like, this is such a fucking farce. <laughs> okay, after school, LJ rides Kitty's bike to Kavinsky's house and get their story straight about how they got together and set up some ground rules like, no kissing. Kavinsky's pretty overly concerned with what people think of him, so she has to allow a little PDA to protect his reputation. You know, I kind of liked Kavinsky, but he's kind of a tool bag here. Plus, he doesn't offer LJ a ride home. Man, fuck that guy. Can we talk about the uh, the points they, they put in the literal contract that they write yeah, up? Yeah, I wanted to be able to read that, but that's in my ebook. And, okay. Yeah, go um, ahead. The whole thing's over several pages, so I'll just tell you what just parts the are actually points. in the... Yeah, so, the, yeah. contract one. No kissing. Two, Peter is allowed to put a hand in Laura Jean's back jean pocket. I have something to say about that. Continue. Okay. Peter will write Laura Jean one note every day. He suggests that. She doesn't. Yeah. No dumb action movies, to which Peter then writes down no foreign films. I think he's too lazy to read subtitles. Okay. I just figured because she's like, Keith might think she wants to watch those because she's half Korean. No, because uh, uh, he says, well, what does that leave us with? And she goes, superhero movies, horror movies, period films, documentaries, foreign films. And, and he, he writes goes, up, no foreign films. Because foreign films are the hardest one out of those. Okay. And then he writes, Laura Jean will make Peter's picture her phone wallpaper. They talk about a couple other things, but then they sign in and they have a physical contract for the fake relationship. What do you want to say about back Jean pockets? Okay, yes. So this is another thing showing that Jenny Han's older, that this is a reference to 16 Candles. Where the opening image is this couple walking along and they have their back their hands in each other's back pockets. So uh, anyway, in the movie, they sit down at a table at school to discuss this. And then he's like, "What? people are not going to believe that we're together if I'm not kissing you. And she's all right. like, um, you can put your hand on my back pocket. He goes, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> and she goes, you know, 16 candles. And he goes, and he's like, she's like, that's a thing that couples do. And he goes, like, maybe in the 70s. And she goes... John Hughes and 16 Candles in the 80s, and he's just, like, shrugging, like, I don't know, I haven't seen it. <laughs> They're all the same to me. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I have ever put my hand in someone's back jean pocket. Yeah, I'd be like, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> it's like, it's like almost grabbing their butt, but not quite. 
I think it's that's like, the whole idea. You're supposed to cup it. It's like either do it or don't. <laughs> <laughs> Shit or get off the plot. Kind of. <laughs> yeah, so I wanted to address that because I was like, is anyone going to know what that is? So when they had put that in the movie, they're going, what is that? I'm like, yes. Peter Kavinsky. Um, and then like the rule, and then she's all like, yeah, and the next rule is uh, we can't tell anybody this is a fake relationship because it'll be too humiliating. And he goes, yeah, yeah, first rule of Fight Club. She goes, what? I'm sorry? And he right. goes like, you have not seen Fight Club? So write, write that down. After we watch the Candles movie, you're watching Fight Club. <laughs> <laughs> so see, he just he just played it so well. Like they were, like he already liked her. I haven't seen Fight Club. I've seen. Six I haven't candles. either, but I at least know first I know rule the, of Fight yeah. Club. Yeah. You don't have to see films to know stuff about them because I know all about Casablanca, but I've never actually seen it. Yeah. And I know all about Citizen Kane. I know what Rosebud is and the significance of that, but I still haven't seen it. <laughs> hey, what's your favorite John Hughes movie? I want to say Breakfast Club. It doesn't have, like, the really racist long duck dong in it. Yeah. And not, not he's not, he, he himself is not. The joke racist. is. The joke is racist. He doesn't come in and go like, I hate black people, you know. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, I think Breakfast Club's probably my favorite. I know there's others that I like. John Hughes. Pretty in Pink oh. is my mom's like favorite thing ever. And, I really like that. And like one. I enjoyed watching it once, but I that's not one that I would have any urge to watch again. Like, like I'd be okay the, watching Sixteen Candles like again. The two guys that are like vying for attention that are both such duds in different ways that I'm just not into it. The other one's and, James Spader. Like, right? James Spader's super hot in that movie. Yeah, but he's so gross. But I think it could have been like a funner, funner thing to just have this sleaze ball at like trying to like redeem yeah. himself in order to be okay for. Right. Like, I, I wanted to watch that movie, and then all we got was, like, wooden Andrew McCarthy and then, like, John Cryer. <laughs> Apparently in test screenings for that, they did actually have it where yeah, she, ended she ends up, up with Duck, John Cryer, and then Ducky everyone was the... like, bullshit! So they yeah. had to, we had to refilm it. Which, fair. <laughs> yeah. But then there's, like, this weird line at the end. I think he just delivers it wrong, where he's all like, you said you couldn't believe it, be with someone who didn't believe in you. I believe in you, just didn't believe in me. It was, like, something really weird like that. Like, and it's like, no one ever said that. What are you babbling about? And it's just such a dumb moment. And then he's just like, and then he goes, I love you. And then walks up and goes, forever. And her ear then walks off. And I was like, I hate this film. <laughs> and, like, the only good part is, like, Ducky standing, like, on the dance floor, like, oh, fuck, okay, by myself. And looks around, and then, like, the girl who plays Buffy the Vampire Slayer in the film, like, sees him and, like, looks at him, like, yeah, mama-like kind of look. And he's just, and he looks at us, and there's, like, Ferris Bueller. Ferris Bueller, I think that might be my favorite John Hughes movie. Anyway, with this Ferris Bueller, like, breaking the fourth wall, Ducky, like, looks at us and then goes to the hot girl. And I'm just like, good for him. <laughs> Plus, I just didn't buy, like, Molly Ringwald bringing in two, like, attracting two... I just never thought she was that pretty, so I just didn't get it. She couldn't have got Jake Ryan either, come on. Yeah, and then they watch Sixteen Candles in the movie, and um, he's like, isn't this, like, a long dong duck guy, like, kind of racist? And she goes, not kind of racist, extremely racist. And he's like, so why are we watching this? And then the camera pans and Kitty's there, and she goes, because Jake Ryan, duh! <laughs> Okay, that was a lot. <laughs> Chapter 26. LJ goes to Josh's bookstore to get a book for school. She sneaks up on him and they chat a little bit. She wants to brag about Kavinsky, but he doesn't really let her do that and goes to do his job instead. LJ takes this as kind of a slight, but like, he's at work, dude. Yeah. 
<laughs> chapter 27. The family plans to send a care package to Margot. Kitty lobbies hard to get a dog, but LJ's more into the idea of a cat. LJ says she'll help uh, help with the dog cause if Kitty actually lifts a finger around the house and shows she can be responsible for a living creature. Then Kavinsky calls later, is weird about how he got her number, and says he should pick her up for school. LJ's like, fine, whatever, bye. And it's actually pretty funny. Because <laughs> it's clear he's like wants to talk a little more, and she's like, uh-huh, and just hangs up. <laughs> I thought it was really great that it's not the girl kind of pining after the guy through all this. You get the sense that it's him yeah. pining after her. Yeah. But we don't. I mean, that's just this. We just kind of have to like read between the lines right. and around it because LJ is just yeah. so. And this, yeah, because she is so focused on that. But for him, this is the first time that he's had a chance to really do this with anybody besides Jen. And it's like, it can be different. And he's, yeah. you know, he's like, he's kind of stoked to see what can be different. Yeah. Um, like, how am I with someone else? Yeah. Am I able to be with someone else? Right. It's like, I only know myself in the with context her. of this specific relationship. Because they've been together since they are like 12. Yeah. Um, Kitty wants to send Margot a picture that she's drawn. It's a Margot petting the exact breed of dog that she wants. <laughs> and Lara Jean laughs and Kitty's like, what's so funny? Nothing. Do you think it's good enough? Good enough to hang up on her wall? Definitely, I say. No, I want you to really look at it. Critique <laughs> it. I can always do better. Margot won't want it if it's not my best work. <laughs> okay, chapter 28. In the morning, Kitty has a field trip she needs to get to school early for, but everyone forgot. She's about to panic, but LJ says they have a ride. Kavinsky shows up, and he's kind of a dick about taking Kitty to school, but he seems to like her when she gets sassy with him. He's, when she's all like, um, they call me Kitty, but you can call me Catherine. <laughs> he's just like, oh, okay. <laughs> when, and he kind of likes it when LJ gets sassy with him, too, so there's something there, Peter. You might want to look into that. Okay, so he says he's LJ's boyfriend, and Kitty hits the roof. Well, you know, when this development transpired, <laughs> LJ promises to tell her everything later. At school, Kavinsky parades LJ around the cafeteria so they can be seen. Jen sees them and does this gross thing where she goes from angry to smiling, which I hate! Gross! My ex could do that, too. Will they be, like, really mad about something and then purposely, like, and just, like, oh. wipe it away? And I'm like, I know that didn't just magically go away. Yeah. You and just you can, swallowed that. And you can tell that they're not smizing. Yes! So. Oh, God, it's so gross. I hate it so much. And I I told my ex it creeped me out when he did it. Um, and then he got really mad, and then he swallowed it and smiled. Well, then be like, but I'm not creepy. I'm like, now it's getting creepier. <laughs> right, it's like, <laughs> is there a real human in here, or just a bunch of attempts at different characters? Attempts at different characters. <laughs> okay, later Kavinsky leaves LJ a note in her locker telling her she did a good job that day. She feels pretty good. Until some little shithead on the bus implies Kavinsky's dating down after breaking up with Jen. That night, Chris calls and wants to know the Kavinsky story, but LJ blows her off to go to sleep. There, Chris, maybe you'll get to find out what it's like to not be prioritized. Ooh. Ooh. Chris is a better friend in the TV, in the, in the movie. Okay. Okay, chapter 29. LJ goes to a football game with Kavinsky, and he puts his arm around her for Jen's benefit. Afterwards, he wants to go to a party, but she doesn't, and instead they go to a diner. There they talk, and LJ tells him that he doesn't take anything seriously, and he tells her she's judgy. He also reveals that he doesn't like Josh since Josh turned him in for cheating on a quiz in seventh grade. <laughs> and that's the reason Josh hates him. It's like, you need to get over it. <laughs> but that's so what the basis of, like, grudges are right. at this age. Yeah. It's like, she was a bitch to me in sixth grade. 
we're like 17. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, LJ and I are like, dude, you're in the wrong. Let it go. He then changes the subject to her letters, and she at first refuses to tell him who the other who the other guys are. Eventually, she gives in, and Kavinsky's really mean, lying about how one of them, John, really loved LJ in eighth grade. Why is that so funny? Then he takes out his phone, torments her about calling John, it's John Ambrose McLaren, uh, until she snatches the phone away and copies the number to call on her own terms. This gets her a little grudging respect. Uh, chapter 30. LJ talks to Margot, who hounds her about internships coming up in spring. It's so intense, it stresses me out. Uh, Margot backs off once she sees LJ's near tears. Instead, she asks about Josh, but LJ hasn't seen him in a while. Yeah, at this point, I think it's still fall, and she's just all like, You need to get internships! I'm like, you need to chill. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, chapter 31. Kavinsky takes the girls to school the next day and gets to drink the rest of Kitty's Korean yogurt drink. He demands LJ bring him one the next day, and Kitty says she will. Uh, Kitty says she will, as long as he gives her a ride to school. He also learns about the inside joke that girls share about their neighbor smelling coffee on herself, and he calls them sadistic. I'm with him, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the same lady who comes out hurrying with like her drink and spills it on herself, and they always go like three, two, one, and they hear, "Damn it!" This <laughs> lady gets it on herself. It's Miss Miss Rothschild, and she becomes important later. I just think it's funny how there's everybody has one thing that they keep doing that they never learn how to fix. Like everybody has something for her. It's she's always going to spill coffee on herself because she's rushing for my mom. She is convinced almost every time she's about to leave somewhere that she has left her keys somewhere and they're almost always just in her purse and she didn't dig to the bottom far enough. So the number of times that we have stood outside the car and she's like, I need to go back into the restaurant and check for my keys. And I'll be like, just dig around for another five seconds. They're in there. She's like, no, I really think I I'm there. They're right here. It's like, she's never going to learn it, but everybody has the one. <laughs> I don't know what mine is. Maybe you know. I don't know. I don't see you all the time. I mostly just see you at school and then here. Maybe you always, like, drip out your toothpaste or something. I don't know. Are you seeing this because I dripped out my toothpaste today and it got on my sweater? <laughs> Did you? Did you see it? No! Your hair is in <laughs> front of your sweater. Let's keep it that way. <laughs> I'm just like, you passive-aggressive bitch. <laughs> okay, chapter 32. At school, one of the letter recipients, Lucas, hands back the letter and is very kind about the whole thing, and he feels flattered, though he's gay and will never reciprocate her feelings. He asks her not to tell anyone he's gay. He's out, but he's not out, out, and I totally get it. Um, LJ understands, too, when he tells her about people speculating about him and how she must get intrusive questions, too, since she's biracial. LJ really appreciates his insight, but when he asks, uh, she doesn't tell him the truth about Kavinsky. I thought he brought up a fair point about that. Yeah. Like, first of all, I thought it was cute that he was like, to be honest, it just made me feel good to get a letter yeah. like that. I was like, hey, good on ya. Uh, we get to see the letter to Lucas, and it's not bitter or angry like the others. It's just kind of wistful. Yeah. So no wonder he was flattered by that. Yeah, it's pretty cute. Um, But then he's like, I just let people believe what they please. I don't feel like it's my responsibility to, to quantify myself for them. I mean, you get what I'm talking about. As a biracial person, I'm sure people are always asking you what race you are, right? I hadn't thought of it that way before, but yes, 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 Lucas just gets it. Exactly. It's like, why do you need to know? And I'm like, fair point. I have a friend that I have known for four years now. And when my mom met him after he had gone home or whatever, she asked if uh, he was gay. It just as like a curiosity. And I was like, I can honestly tell you, I have no idea. 
in the four years I've known him, that has never, never once <laughs> once factored into our friendship. So I have no clue. <laughs> uh, chapter 33. Chris hangs out at LJ's after school and quizzes her on how far LJ and Kavinsky have gone. It's been like two seconds. Get a grip, Chris. <laughs> when LJ clutches her pearls and says, she and Margo aren't those kinds of girls, Chris insists that Josh and Margo have boned. Man, Chris sucks. Chapter 34. LJ and Kavinsky are hanging out in the library studying when she asks him if two people in a relationship for years are automatically assumed to have had sex. He wants more context, and when he gets it, he says, uh, not necessarily, but the likelihood is high. She tells him that Chris insists that it's impossible not to be together that long and not do it, and Kavinsky dismisses this and wonders out loud why the hell LJ hangs out with Chris. Okay, then he gets randomly flirty and puts his head in LJ's lap, and when she's like, WTF, you're flirting, son, he's all, nuh and gets up to play with his phone. This shit right here, this whole chapter, is why I didn't date in high school. <laughs> chapter 35. LJ notices Josh being a loner at school and feels bad for him. After school, he comes over and asks if she's avoiding him since his breakup with Margot. This pisses her off since it's like her letter didn't matter to him. When he eventually does bring it up, it's too little too late for her, but she does assure him that they're still friends. He asks if he can give her a ride to school the next day, and she agrees, then texts Kavinsky that she won't need a ride, but not why. Kitty learns to do laundry and likes it. This learning to be responsible in order to get a dog thing seems to be working out. <laughs> um, chapter 36. After school, Kavinsky takes LJ to a frozen yogurt place called Tart and Tangy. That sounds like a sex thing. Yeah! Because <laughs> <laughs> how he phrases the request... Tell me, I forget. It just says tart and tangy after school? That's a little personal. Right? (laughs) Um, His friends are all there, too, but no Jen. She's been eating off campus at lunch and giving fake smiles at LJ in the hall. Anyway, Kavinsky pays for her food, something he said he'd never do, and his friends goof off with LJ calling her large and tossing her around. Because there's like, your name sounds like large, largey, largey, largey. And she's like, sounds more like largey. (laughs) Uh, it's all in good fun, though, and Kavinsky tells her that his friends like her. Uh, and points out that his friends actually hated having Jen around. Yeah. <laughs> LJ has a moment where she enjoys being part of a group and not at home watching golf with her dad. I remember having that feeling, and it actually, it's happened to me with, like, a bunch of guys where, like, I come in as, like, a, like, I'm the friend of, like, one person in the group and they introduce me. And that moment when you realize that they're, like, all cool with you and, like, they don't think that you suck. And they're like, <laughs> yeah, you can hang out with us. It's fine. Like, that's a really, like, nice feeling. So I get I get where she's coming from with that. Yeah. Plus, you know, she's just, she's cool with hanging out as a group. Where I get the sense Jen probably wants to be the center of attention all right. the time. And that gets irritating when you just want to hang out with your boys. Right. It's like, she doesn't have to hold court every time. Yes. <laughs> Like, we're not here for Queen Jen. We just want to make fart jokes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Chapter 37. LJ's making cupcakes for the PTA bake sale for Kitty when Kavinsky shows up. Apparently they're supposed to go to a football game and then a party, but LJ was busy and never read the note he left her uh, telling her about it. He attempts to help but keeps being distracting until LJ calls for Kitty to have him help her with her science experiment. Kavinsky doesn't go with Kitty right away, and then the dad comes home. He hasn't seen Peter Kay in years, but remembers him. When he hears about the party, he says LJ should go, and that he and Kitty will finish the cupcakes. LJ can't get out of it now, and goes to change, struggling to find an outfit, while Kavinsky helps Kitty with her science experiment. LJ goes to Margot's room, and goes through a drawer for a sweater, and instead of a sweater, she finds a letter from Josh confirming that he and Margot have had sex. Oh, shoot. (laughs) 
Did you have, like, really common names in your classes where, like, there were certain people that were known as, like, the... Michael was a big one when I was in elementary school. Yeah. Like, Will... Yeah, it was was Michael, Will, Jordan. Yeah, there was a lot of names like that where you had the last initial. You were Josh S. a lot, weren't you? I wasn't. That's the thing. I I was not Josh S. until... School? Quote-unquote school, (laughs) when we ended up with two Joshes. I, I've never been a Mara. A no, I'm not that surprised. <laughs> <laughs> okay, chapter 38. Uh, the party's at some rich kid's house. Jen's friend Emily waves LJ over and they start interrogating her about Kavinsky. All she really says is that, is that they got together before school started. And from the look on Jen's face, it was the wrong thing to say. LJ goes to the bathroom, but when she comes out, her spot with the girls is gone. And she sits in Peter's lap and it's kind of cute. Later, she sees Peter and Jen arguing in the kitchen. Hey, their fake relationship is working. Lucas comes up and warns her that they still have feelings for each other, if they can still fight like that. Not necessarily true, but okay. (laughs) I'd probably get into a fight with my ex if they were around and I don't have feelings. The only feelings I have are resentment. Uh, Peter storms out of the kitchen and takes LJ home. They sit out in his car and talk. He hates that he still feels like he belongs to Jen and hounds LJ and why she doesn't date. She says she feels most at home with her family and she doesn't like dealing with another person, their expectations and needs. Relatable! (laughs) (laughs) Peter tries to get all jokey about her not falling for him and she's like, yeah, no worries there. And he points out that she used to find him desirable and she's all, no clue why. And he gets all hurt and quotes the letter, which I have a feeling he like memorized. Uh, when she teases him for memorizing it, he looks even more hurt, and she tries to make it better by saying he must have had a lot going for him back then, and he flinches. God, this is painful. Just go in the house, Lara Jean. Thankfully, she does. <laughs> it's like she keeps trying to make it better, and it just keeps getting worse, and he just couldn't look. Ugh. I'm just like, it's like she, It's like she's standing there in a ditch with a shovel, and she just, like, looks, and then shovels some more. <laughs> it's like, no, 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 stop shoveling. Okay, we close out the chapter with an email back and forth between Margot and LJ. Margot bugging LJ about Model UN. How does that fit with LJ's interests exactly? And LJ telling her she had con- that she has control of everything at home. Lol, no you don't. <laughs> <laughs> chapter 39. LJ goes to Peter's mom's antique shop to look around, one of her favorite things to do. Peter's there and he invites her on a buying trip to an estate, st- estate sale the next day. She agrees, but is dismayed that they have to leave so early in the morning. Peter shows up late, but with donuts, and he eats the Sammy she made for him. She'd made one for herself as well, so it wasn't like it's special for him. Even though she remembers he doesn't like mayonnaise. (laughs) Uh, He explains that uh, they have to get to the sale early to beat this older couple who also run an antique shop. Uh, they spot the couple's car on the road, and LJ tells him to gut it, and screams out the window <laughs> while he's like, who is this? I thought this antique wars thing was really funny. It was so fun, I loved it. Uh, they beat the couple for these, like, chairs and that Peter's mom had wanted, and LJ's encouraged to haggle for a glass reindeer she wanted for her vanity. Uh, she meets the man who's selling all his stuff, and he takes a shine to LJ, and lets her take his daughter's ne- neat vintage clothes, since she's not helping him move. I was just like, ooh, petty. (laughs) On the ride home, Peter awkwardly tells her that his mom wants her to come over for dinner. She's dismayed again that now his mom's in on the lie, but she agrees to come. Chapter 40, the dinner's pizzas. And not overwhelming at all. She was so nervous about this dinner. Yeah. And she was looking up what fork to use. 
when for like what part of a meal and I'm just like you've met Kavinsky right I don't think that's the kind of meal you're gonna have and so I was not surprised at all that it was you know something not as overwhelming Peter's mom is really nice and his little brother Owen's kind of a shit but in a manageable kind of way right (laughs) on the ride home they talk about Peter's dad who he doesn't see anymore since he has a new family LJ's mom and LJ wonders what her mother would think of her as a teenager if she was still alive it's kind of a nice moment between them I had to look up what gingham was, um, because that's used to describe all of the decorations uh, in the kitchen Uh at their house, and it was also the exact same, the red and white gingham was the same design that her favorite apron was, and I was like, it was like a pattern. It's... It's literally a pattern. Yeah, yeah, it's literally a pattern. It's the the stripey checker thing, right? Where it's Mm -hmm. like... So it's yeah. like white, red, and then the in-between blocks are like a lighter red kind of... You've seen it. You've seen gingham. Yeah. It's the thing that I always refer to as plaid because I don't know what else to call it. Opa gingham style. <laughs> 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 okay, in the movie when they have the conversation, it's like this really it's like this really great moment between the two. Like It's great in the book, but it's like really great in the movie when they sit and talk about it. and And he's like trying not to show how bothered he is by his dad like essentially leaving them and starting a new family where we weren't good enough for you and um my dad left my family too so i related to him and he's trying not to show that it bothers him and and she's like asking like a little bit about it she's being like really kind of like delicate with him about Mm -hmm. it and he's like it's just it's it's whatever and she goes we don't have to talk about it if you don't want to but it's not whatever and and he just kind of has this like such a nice girl kind of look (laughs) No, I swear, this actor was great. Did they have the antique no. sale thing in the... No, it's Aww. not in it. I mean... Yeah, I really I wanted can, that. I can understand, though, that... Actually, there's one scene that I was so disappointed wasn't in the movie, and I'll tell you when we get to it. Okay. Okay, chapter 41. Peter asks to study at LJ's house, and she gets the kitchen all set up. Two hours after he was expected, he texts saying something came up. LJ's pissed, so the next day she gets a ride from Josh and lets Peter twist. Fuck him. <laughs> no, I hate habitual lateness. I hate it so much. So I was kind of with her on this. And I was like, yeah, do something petty and nasty the next day. He's going to show up late anyway. Yeah, Thank I you. am uncomfortable if I am not five minutes early to something. You know? Yeah, it's if like... you're not early, you're late. <laughs> <laughs> if you're on time, you're late. That's right. what the saying is. That it, and, yeah, I, I, and I won't hold that to everybody because on time is on time. But yeah. in my head. In my I'm, head, I'm, you know, yeah. I'm the same way. I'm so nervous if I'm not early. Uh, anyway, at school... Peter confronts her. It's so funny. She's sitting in her class and he's in the hallway like, get out here. And she's like, I'm in class. And he's like, get your ass out of your desk. Walk out here and talk to me. Because <laughs> he's so mad. Okay. So, at school. Pe- <laughs> okay, so. Um, <laughs> the angriest sign language. <laughs> yes. Anyway, uh, he confronts her saying he waited in front of her house for 20 minutes. Too bad, so sad, frankly, considering how little other people's time matters to him. But I hate chronically late people, so... Uh, LJ asks if he was with Jen, and yes, of course he was. She needed him. LJ realized that this fake dating shit isn't an attempt to move on from Jen, but to make sure he doesn't. She's just a placeholder until he can go back to his real girlfriend. Chapter 42. Josh's parents fight a lot, and he usually goes over to the Covey house when it gets bad. One night, Josh comes over and bugs LJ to audition for the school play. Or join Model UN. I don't even know if my school had a Model UN. I don't think we did. Thank you. Is that even a thing? I've only ever really heard about it in, like, books and, like, movies or something. Where they're all like, 
what activities do you like? I've been bottling you in, and then everyone's like, Ugh. it sound it sounds like a very like East Coast New England sort of thing to me. It doesn't okay. seem like the sort of thing that it doesn't happen out here. Our neighborhoods have. Yeah, like we don't have lacrosse either. Uh, Josh says that LJ's in her own little world and should branch out. And frankly, he's one to fucking talk. LJ, because uh, he's the one eating lunch by himself. She's the one hanging out with Kavinsky and his friends and like going to parties and kind of like expanding mm-hmm. what she experienced. So he's kind of just projecting here. Uh, LJ throws the TV remote at him and that's that. Uh, when she goes upstairs, Chris is sleeping in her bed and advises her not to tell Peter that Josh was over. She suggests busting an old lady friend of LJ's out of the retirement home. Then she's out like a light. <laughs> We should go get pancakes. You're tired. I am. <laughs> I've had friends like that, too. The last little scene with Josh is so very this sort of book. If people knew you, they would love you. He sounds so matter-of-fact. Josh, you break my heart, and you're a liar. Because you know me. You know me better than almost anybody. And you don't love me. But you didn't! didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but you didn't! <laughs> Okay. Uh, this was the chapter where my uh, highlighter died and I had to get a new one, which is fun because this is also the uh, chapter that has the sentence, I stopped highlighting mid-sentence. <laughs> oh, weird. <laughs> okay, chapter 43. It's Halloween, and LJ goes as Cho Chang. She feels she has to go as Asian characters because otherwise people assume she's an anime character. That sucks, hate, but it's I also... I hate that for her, yeah. but it seems very true, and I bet Jenny Han had those experiences. Yeah. Yeah, I hadn't even thought of that before. Yeah, because I'd be a white yeah. kid. Exactly, because it'll so. be it'll be it'll be anime, or it'll be like, oh, you're going as an Asian blank. And it's yeah, like, no, I'm just going I'm just as going blank. As blank. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Josh is Harry Potter by coincidence, and Peter's late again. And LJ tells him she doesn't want rides if he's going to be late. He's full. Fine, I got five minutes extra to sleep in then. At school, everyone gathers in the auditorium to judge the costumes. Uh, Peter's with his friends as a big group of superheroes, and he's Spider-Man. Because <laughs> he's Peter Packer. He's <laughs> Peter! Peter! <laughs> why, am I, why am I not saying his name is Peter this whole time? Anyway, they win first place for group costumes. Jen wins for being dressed as Catwoman in a costume that sounds like it wouldn't have passed the dress code at my school. She's in, like, a fucking bustier. And, like, tight leather pa- No, that would never have flown. That's one of those things a where I, A girl like, at my school got in trouble for her costume because it was a dress that dipped low in the back and you could see her back. And she was told to put her coat on. That's one of those articles where I can assume the sort of thing it accomplishes, but I don't actually know which kind of article it is. A bustier? Like, um, I'm like, I can tell that it's some sort of chest thing. Yeah. Okay. The, the, the boobies. I figured as much, but it's like, I it's just, I don't... It's just a self-contained top, so it's just the... Okay. Thing that, so then, like, I think your shoulders are exposed and stuff. Okay. But yeah, that a- absolutely not flying. No, no, no. no. Uh uh-uh. uh. Uh No midriff exposed, two inches below the fingertips. Yeah, we the had the thing. We had the, I think it was like strap dimension. It had yep. the, it was like two inches no or something. No spaghetti straps. Yeah. Yeah, she would not have been allowed to, to dress like this. It should have been sent to the office, at least. Later, Peter confronts LJ for going as a couple costume with Josh. Um, Jen was a superhero, too, here, and LJ could totally counter with that, but she doesn't. So I was like, okay, so you guys were superheroes and she was Catwoman, so that seems like you coordinated something there. Right. Especially since she so knows so little about comics that he'd be all like, these That's are Marvel, Marvel heroes! Marvel and DC! <laughs> DC! They're not the same thing! <laughs> and Catwoman is not a superhero, she's an anti-hero! <laughs> yeah, exactly! 
But that's what I was expecting her to counter with, and she didn't. And I'm like, defend yourself, Lara Jean. Come on. Instead, she's like, no one notices me. Get a grip. And Josh goes by, and they have a wizard duel. LJ going with a killing curse. (laughs) I enjoyed the... Eventually, uh... Peter gets her attention again by slinging webs at her (laughs) while she runs, shooting spells at him, and it's fun and cute. I wish (laughs) anybody at that age ever did things like that. Because, like, nobody would have done that. They would have been like... Ah, that's that brings too much attention to me. But I'm like, come on, you're carrying a wand around. Do fake spells. People would do the, that, but then the other yeah. people would be like, what a nerd. Right? And it's like, hello. Fun. <laughs> it would magically become okay when the cool guy, Kavinsky, is all like, like, to shoot the stuff at him while she's all, running around. And the teacher yells, settle down at her. And I'm like, well, this is true to life. Whip. Okay, later he sends her a note saying that he won't be late tomorrow, so... His, like, save face of, fine, five more minutes of sleep. Just forget about that. He's like, I won't be late tomorrow. I'm sorry. Um, chapter 44. Peter gives LJ a ride home, and Kitty's stoked on his costume and wants him to hang out. LJ says he can't because he has to condition for lacrosse, but Peter's all for hanging out. Uh, they're chowing, chowing down on snacks when Kitty suggests they do the dance, something LJ and Margot choreographed. LJ doesn't want to, and Peter insists, even trying to do a sexy stare-down that makes LJ give in since Kitty's there watching. Uh, they do the dance, and Peter loves it. Yeah, that's not in the movie. That's upsetting. I was like, I want to see them. Boom, 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 and, like, and then I, he's just like, what? <laughs> I, have, I have a video of my cousin and her friend doing some approximation of the safety dance for three minutes straight when they were, like, sophomores. And I have been holding on to it <laughs> for her wedding. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> okay. Afterwards, LJ thinks of how attached to Peter that Kitty's getting and tells Peter he shouldn't come over anymore so they don't confuse her. He's like, but I like her. I want joint custody when this is over. And she kisses him on the cheek. Then thank him for being nice to Kitty. Then books it back to the house. Yeah, Kitty's getting attached. <laughs> That's the problem here. Okay, chapter 45. LJ forces herself to drive to the grocery store, and she brings Kitty to act as another set of eyes to watch for traffic. Kitty's just scornful of LJ's fearful driving, and LJ hates that. Uh, she wants to be the sister you look up to, like Margot. She makes rice balls for hers and Kitty's lunches, like their mom used to make. Chapter 46. At lunch, Peter and his friends eat all her rice balls. <laughs> <laughs> She only gets three, and then there's one left, and Peter hesitates, remembering her last piece of pizza complaint. <laughs> yeah, I was dying. This was so funny. <laughs> LJ tries to feed it to him, but he still fights it until one of his friends steps in, wanting to eat it from her hands. Then Peter shoves him off and has the has the last rice ball. Um, LJ gets sad that this isn't real, and when Peter notices that she looks sad, she plays it off that, of course she's sad, they ate all her lunch! <laughs> uh, Peter offers to buy her a sandwich, and when she says no, he says they can stop somewhere on the way home if she gets hungry. She tells him the car's fixed, so she won't need rides anymore. And he says he doesn't mind driving her, though, uh, but she says she needs to be to practice in order to get better. Okay, chapter 47. The family eats a video meal with Margot. <laughs> I wrote that weird. <laughs> it just sounds like they're just eating tapes. <laughs> they have for like. Can um, I have some of that Lost World? Oh, maybe <laughs> you give me some Top Gun. <laughs> it's 
take my breath away. Um, they're just on like FaceTime with her eating together. So it's like they're, you know, together. Anyway. Okay. So they're with Margo in which, uh, Kitty spills the beans about Peter. Margo's really rude and judgy about it, saying he's not smart at school, which is a really stupid phrase. So suck it, Margo. Smart at school. Book smart, you dumb shit. <laughs> he seems pretty dumbly. He's really dumb. You know, with the brain not thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Hulk smash! <laughs> he's boo. <laughs> and LJ's like, no, he's boo. <laughs> LJ gets angry and has Kitty chime in that she likes Peter. LJ points out that there's other ways to be smart and that Peter has a high emotional IQ. Margot's all skeptical and honestly, what a jerk. Guess Scotland's not working out if she's this big of a turd. Chapter 48. LJ and Josh go to their diner to hang out. LJ asks if he's heard from Margot, and he says they talk online sometimes, and she seems homesick. LJ's confused by that, since Margot always seems fine when they talk. Josh asks how things are going with Peter, and he gets pretty shitty when she says Kitty really likes him. He apologizes, though, and LJ forgives him, but I'd have happily dumped my drink over his head. Then Jen cruises in with a kid she's mentoring, and sees LJ and gets all smiley. Later, LJ gets an angry text from Peter about hanging out with Josh. Jesus, everyone's so possessive in this book. During a family meal is when she gets uh, his message, and Kitty announces that LJ got a text from Peter, which prompts the dad to say he likes Peter, and that he likes that LJ, unlike Margot, is actually going out and making new friends. The dad and Kitty agree that Peter's totally into LJ, and LJ decides that she's going to work their dad so Kitty can get that dog she wants for Christmas. <laughs> I like the dad a whole lot in the movie. Yeah. Because they, they, like, wrote him as more present, and he seems to be more aware of what's going on with... There's, like, the scene at the beginning where they all sit down. It's, like, right before Margot leaves for school, and, like, Josh comes over for dinner, too, and they're all sitting around the table, and Josh is like, hey, here's my surprise. And, like, he has a plane ticket already to go visit her, like, at Thanksgiving, and she goes, like did you already pay for this? And looks panicked because she's like about to break up with him. Yeah. And he's like, something weird's going on here. But the dad goes like, woo, way to Josh for stepping it up. <laughs> <laughs> I love the dad so much. Okay, and the dad's a gynecologist. And there's this great scene where um, Chris is over at the house and she's sitting on the counter and she's all like, now, I don't deny you your right to provide food and home for your family, but what guy goes to college and thinks, I'm just going to look at vaginas all day. Who, what guy wants to be a gynecologist? And he goes, I'm leaving the kitchen now, Christine. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It's, it's so good. It's like, it's not a very good adaptation of this book. Exactly. It gets the gist. Yeah. But it's more like a cousin of the book rather than, you know, a direct sibling because yeah. it's still so different yeah which i think we've talked about that before it's like you don't want a direct adaptation no. when you watch a movie this would have been rough yeah <laughs> you want something that learns from the book and tries to be the best thing that it can be right in its own you know wheelhouse so cool yeah yeah can you do me a favor kitty he says what can you stay this age forever automatically kitty replies i, I can if you give me a puppy <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i made muddy fingers for oh, yeah. some reason <laughs> that looks creepy. <laughs> he made a um, petting a dog gesture, but it looked gross. <laughs> Some heavy petting. <laughs> Chapter 49. After studying with Peter at Starbucks, uh, he drops LJ home, but she accidentally leaves her bag in his car. The spare key isn't under a rock anymore. Uh, no one does that. 
Oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> when I read that, I was like, what kind of white like shit? <laughs> <laughs> that was, I was the only one to laugh in the theater at that line. Also, did you see that we have them at school? Yes, I said it out loud as soon as I saw them. <laughs> Guys, if you haven't seen Us or Get Out, they're both phenomenal films. Yes. Jordan Peele is amazing. Jordan Peele is one of the like best directors of yes. this decade. Yes. At least. Well, I mean, the decade just started. I mean, decade is in the, the last ten years that I have seen films during. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> okay. Okay, so the spare key isn't under the rock anymore. So she goes next door to ask Josh for a key. He comes out and gives her the key, but gets all pissy about Peter and that he's not good enough. Really <clears throat> sick of this song and dance, Josh. <clears throat> Learn a new one. He uses the he uses the phrase. Do it. You're not like other girls. Boo! I told you Josh sucked and you're not the Josh. Thank you. You're the Laura Jean. I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it over you're not like other girls, Josh. And I'm the kitty, because I hold grudges. <laughs> And I'm obnoxious. <laughs> um, as they argue, Peter comes back with LJ's bag and gives her a big kiss. She realizes then that she's back to liking him. But then at school the next day, he tells her the kiss was for Josh's benefit and it won't happen again. Then he takes her hand and walks her to class and the cognitive dissonance almost makes LJ's head explode. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't romantic, he said as he did something romantic. <laughs> Chapter 50. Gavinsky wants LJ to go on the class ski trip, but LJ has had bad experience with skiing. He talks her into it by telling her the lodge has a great fireplace, perfect to read by, and that he'll buy her hot chocolate. She gets her dad to sign the permission slip, and he's so excited for her. I'm really glad you're doing this. Like, he's so... Right. I just you're stepping I, out of your comfort zone. Yes, I love the dad so much eventually, but like, <laughs> at the beginning, I was just like, why can't like this It's like the Pendrelix dad. Don't uh-huh. like him that much at the start. After you get to see more of him as a real dad, you like him more. Yeah. And you realize it's less he's expecting them to wait on him and they're more they're putting it on themselves yeah. to do it. Yeah. That's a big thing. That's a thing that I've learned that I do is like, I take things upon myself and then I get kind of like agitated that other people don't do things it's like well i never asked anybody to do anything and they didn't ask me to do this so i can't really complain there was a line like that on orange is the new black Mm -hmm. did you ever watch any of it just a couple clips there was like this particular character he kind of always just kind of stepped in and took over and like fixed all everybody's problems and then he was mad that things weren't turning out his way because like he really loved this girl or like he really loved her but then uh introduced her to his friends and she fell in love with his friend and then they like got together and she got pregnant and the guy decided he didn't want to be with her anymore so he dropped out of the band to be with her and the band went on to be really successful and then later uh the guy in the band came back and wanted to get to know his child and wanted to get together with her again and the guy was all upset was like but i've stepped in and done everything and she's all like you can't just come in and hold the door and get mad at people for walking through the door. Yeah. No one asked you to hold the fucking door. And yeah. I was just like, that's such a good line. And there's guys like that kind of need to hear that. Just all like, no one asked you, so you shouldn't have this sense of entitlement of, well, I deserve things now because yeah. I did all this. Oh, I didn't finish chapter 50. Everything. Okay, yeah. I go, and he's excited for Margo, however, is concerned and tells her to be careful. LJ finds out why Margot's leery about the trip when Chris tells her that it's just all sexcapades. LJ's horrified and begs Chris to come along, but Chris refuses until LJ points out that Jen's class president has planned the whole trip. She'll be pissed if Chris is there. Well played, LJ. <laughs> it's like, um, don't they say that that's what the, uh, like the Olympics are? Yeah. 
like mm-hmm. the little villages where all of the all of the very attractive in shape people go stay yeah why wouldn't you yeah (laughs) (laughs) okay chapter 51 for realsies this time okay yeah the thanksgiving and lj messes up the dinner anyway their korean grandma comes for dinner and she starts claire penderwecking away at the dad for not having a girlfriend (laughs) (laughs) so true josh is like pumping his fist in the air Okay, she uh, asks LJ if she'd be okay with her father dating and looks approving when she says yes. What? Just a kitty scene in 52. Go. Okay, chapter 52. Kitty and LJ are planning out what Christmas cookies to make, and Peter wants fruitcake cookies. The girls are grossed out, but he insists, if done right, fruitcake's really pretty good. Dr. Covey chimes in and says to put put him down as a vote for the cookies. Josh turns up, and Peter hesitates, though LJ says he's only there to see Kitty. Josh asks about the Christmas cookie bonanza and asks if his cookies are on the list. Peter says the list is pretty set, and Josh is like, check the list again, I know the DJ. We <laughs> we all know the tension here isn't about cookies. Later, Peter's still hanging out while LJ picks up the living room, and he tells her that Josh is into her and that once they end their fake relationship, he'll be on her like white on rice. LJ reminds him that Margot's coming home for Christmas and that it's more likely that those two will get back together. They make a million dollar bet and shake on it. <laughs> I spun my notebook around and hit cheese it in the face. I didn't mean to. Poor little boy. Okay, anyway, so, and then Peter pulls her onto the couch, and maybe this is about to get lovey-dovey, but Kitty's the cock block, and she comes running in, so that's the end of that. It's just when uh, Peter asks her what kind of dog she wants. Immediately, Kitty says, An Ikea, red fur with a cinnamon bun tail, or a German shepherd I can train to be a seeing eye dog. But you're not blind, Peter says. But I could be one day. <laughs> Chapter 53. The Coveys go get a Christmas tree, and Josh helps them set it up and decorate it. When the dad goes to work and Kitty goes next door to make s'mores... What? Okay, anyway. The dad goes to work and Kitty goes next door to make s'mores. I put when, and then nothing <laughs> kind of happened there. Now we'll... I can't read Cat, <laughs> listen. I have to be at work in 45 minutes. Oh, shoot. I'm sorry. It's okay. Okay. Uh, it takes about, like, 20 minutes to walk there. Are you sure... As long as we finish the recording by, like, 4.30, we'll be fine. We got 18 minutes. Hit it. Okay. Uh, da, 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 da. Okay, now alone, Josh begins to hound LJ about Peter, saying she doesn't like, she doesn't act like herself around him. LJ says he's barely been around them, and besides, he's just jealous. Not because of LJ, but because Peter's taken his place, and Kitty likes him best. Josh admits he's jealous, and insists on knowing why she never admitted her feelings about him. She says it wouldn't have made any difference because he was never into her and left to start any revisionist history in which he's always been pining for her. She calls him predictable, and fucker grabs her and kisses her all, Did you predict that, Nostradamus? And she runs to her room and locks the door. Josh sucks. Chapter 54. Between classes, Lucas talks to LJ and warns her that Jen and her college boyfriend broke up and that he saw Peter leaving Jen's house the night before meaning Jen's going to be actively trying to get Peter back now. During class, LJ passes Peter a note saying he was right about Josh. Peter's all tense alertness and is like, context please, and she tells him that Josh kissed her. When they're able to talk face to face, Peter's pissed that someone else is kissing his girlfriend and he wants to confront Josh but tells him not to or she'll get mad at him. Peter lets it go, but he ain't happy. Uh, Chapter 55. LJ comes home from studying at the library to find Josh on her porch. He wants to tell Margot about the kiss, but LJ's like, no, not happening. If anyone tells her, it's gonna be me, not you, the ex-boyfriend. He's all hurt and says her letter messed him up and there was a time he did want to kiss her, but the moment passed 
yada yada. LJ realizes she doesn't want this loser, and oh, thank God. <laughs> Marco and Josh have already made plans to hang out when she's back. And good, they can be boring, judgy duds together. Can we move on to a Peter chapter, please? <laughs> <laughs> chapter 56. LJ tries to end the fake dating scheme, and Peter panics and is like, but the ski trip! So it's still on. Chapter 57. <laughs> <laughs> is it actually that short in your... Okay, cool. <laughs> LJ asks Peter if John Ambrose McLaren still do, does Model UN, and he's all, how should I know? She says she wants to join. Peter teases her about already scouting for other guys when their relationship isn't even over yet. <laughs> Chapter 58, LJ goes to the Model UN meeting and gets mistaken for a page, so she starts delivering notes to the delegates. <laughs> she delivers... <laughs> she... Is this scene in the movie? No. Darn, because I really like that, how she just walks in and they're like, Go take this to China. And she's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> she delivers one to John, who recognizes her, but she bustles out. Hustles out. I can read. When Peter texts her if she saw John, she tells him no, wanting to bask in the fact that John remembered her. Because he's like, Laura Jean? But she's already like, well, right. like <laughs> It's like, that was enough. <laughs> yeah. Chapter 59. Margot comes home, and she's all mad that they did the cookies and tree without her, and she acts like a micromanaging bitch and gets all snide about Peter again. She even got the haircut for it. <laughs> I guess college is sucking some pretty serious wang for her if she's so resentful of life daring to go on for everyone else in her absence. I'd be sympathetic, but I'm not. Chapter 60. LJ's chafing under Margot's boss bullshit. Her sister's been gone long enough that she feels she's more responsible, but Margot's still operating like she never left and everyone's too stupid to live. She heavily advocates for what sounds like a god-awful piano recital party and refuses to help Kitty get a dog, so I'm counting the seconds until this wet blanket gets back on a plane to the kilt land. Chapter 61. The junior class leaves for their ski trip, and sure enough, Jen has a fit when Chris turns up, but haha, she has prior teacher approval so she can come. Suck it, Jen. LJ sits with Chris on the bus, despite Peter's protests, but hey, they're breaking up soon, so why not show a few cracks in the foundation? However, at the lodge with no company except a gossipy teacher who lives up Jen's ass, LJ decides not to let Jen have Peter early. Their contract is still in effect, so she heads on out to the slopes to find Peter. Chapter 62. Peter's on the slopes, but ignores her when she calls out to him. She gives skiing a shot. I'm a giraffe! <laughs> she, she gives skiing a shot. And yeah, she still hates it. Later, she talks to Peter, and it turns out he's still mad that she didn't sit with him on the bus. He tells her that he started liking her for real, but LJ's hesitant because he's still in love with Jen. He gets all mad and tells her she's too scared of everything, that she only likes unattainable boys, so she doesn't ever have to take a chance. A harsh but valid point made by Mr. Kavinsky. True dad. <laughs> LJ goes to her room to be upset and fume. Then she thinks about what Peter said and realizes that she's tired of being afraid. She gets her keys and goes back out to the hot tub to find him. Uh, I like that LJ actually thinks about others' words and gives them a fair shake and is willing to hear another point of view. Chapter 63. LJ catches Peter alone in the hot tub. She takes off her coat and boots to dangle her legs in and tells him that earlier he caught her off guard, but that she likes him too. He pulls her in and they kiss, but Peter stops things because it's too close to curfew and he doesn't want her to get into trouble. All I can think of is that long, wet flannel nightgown must suck. Right? <laughs> in the movie, she's wearing a, like, a cuter little nightie that makes more sense. Right. But as, yeah, as soon as it described what she was wearing and then she got towards the hot tub, I'm like, no, this is, no... You're going to think it's cute at the start. It's going to suck at the end. It's going to suck at the end. It's going to stick to your legs and be cold and gross. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah. yeah. Yucky. All right. Chapter 64. LJ sits with Peter on the bus the next day and plays Uno with his friends. At a rest stop, Jen confronts LJ in the bathroom, saying she used to wish she was LJ and have her family. LJ asks why they stopped being friends, and Jen says it's because LJ and Peter kissed in seventh grade, and LJ knew how Jen felt about Peter. Then she drops the bomb that Peter's telling everyone that he and LJ had sex in the hot tub last night, and boy, is LJ a slut. 
Um, how is having sex with your boyfriend being slutty? Whatever. LJ gets back out to the buses and cries. Uh, chapter 65. On the bus, LJ sits with Chris again, and Peter doesn't really take seriously how upset LJ is. Chris is a thousand percent gets it, since basically the same rumor mill thing happened to her. Mm-hmm. Jen's going seat to seat spreading the story, and LJ cries on Chris's shoulder trying to sleep. Uh, she makes a good point about the the rumor, because she's like, it's not fair for the girl. Guys have it easy. I'm sure they were all congratulating him, pounding him on the back for being such a stud. It's not like he could just go have sex with nothing. He has to have sex with a girl. There is a a, a, a woman on the other half of that, yeah. and then she gets, like, taken out to pasture for it. It's BS. Yeah, it yeah. is. It is BS. Chapter 66. Margot and Kitty pick LJ up from the school, and right from the get-go, Margot knows something's wrong. LJ doesn't want to talk, though, and just claims to be tired. Peter texts her to ask if they can talk, but she ignores him. Margot wants to make this obnoxious-sounding uh, recital party a thing, and LJ goes along to distract herself from her misery. Apparently, Margot and the dad are known for a duet of Baby It's Cold Outside, what? and I actually cried out gross. I, I highlight the whole thing. So, Margot and Daddy sing Baby It's Cold Outside, and I am always commissioned to sing Santa Baby. I used to do it lying on top of the piano with my mom's high heels on and our grandma's fox stole. What the actual F is that? No! What?! No! I've been shaking my head so hard on this. This is so, so not, that is... I hate this party. That is Arrested Development uh, Afternoon Delight level. I said that! I said that! Actually, I was reading it. I got to that part. I got so upset. I ran and told my mom and made the Arrested Development comparison. Yeah, it's, this is totally Michael and maybe singing Afternoon Delight. Okay, Josh texts LJ to make sure she's okay and says he never believed the rumors for a second. LJ waits to see if Peter texts again, then throws away all of his notes and deletes his number and pictures from her phone. Okay, chapter 67. It's Christmas and they all exchange presents and no one's an asshole. Kitty gets her puppy, which she names Jamie. Aw! They have their... <laughs> no, no, the full name is Jamie Fox Pickle, but we'll only call him that when he's in trouble. <laughs> okay, chapter 68. They have their stupid sounding party and Peter shows up since Kitty had invited him. He has to practically tug LJ into the kitchen to speak with him privately. She tells him that he hasn't done a good enough job denying the rumors since he's probably wink, wink, nudge, nudging while doing it. Uh, Josh turns up to fight too, telling him he's never been good enough for LJ and the rumors are all his fault. Peter's like, loser, she doesn't like you anymore, even with your desperate attempt at kissing her, so step off. And Margot heard the whole thing and she's devastated and mad at LJ. Even though Josh did the kissing, there's way too much slut shaming in this book, but then that's how I remember high school and I'm not even a little nostalgic for that time. True. True. <laughs> Chapter 69. <Nice>. <laughs> <laughs> LJ reflects on her relationship with Margot, how they were enemies prior to their mother's death. Then they banded together after their mom died so they could look after Kitty. Now Margot looks right through LJ, and LJ worries that they'll never be close again. Chapter 70. Dr. Covey sits down with LJ and tells her he's worried about her sexual activity and that he's made a doctor's appointment for her. LJ, I know, LJ starts crying and says she's not having sex, but he doesn't really seem to believe her. When he leaves, she goes to Margot's room and tells her that she sucks for using their dad to get back at her. Margot's all self-righteous, and it sticks in LJ's cross, so she throws out the fact that she knows Margot and Josh had sex and storms away. But Margot's not going to let that stand and thinks LJ knows this tidbit because Josh told her while they were sneaking around together. Jesus, Margot. The whole story about how she'd always liked Josh and the letters and fake dating Peter comes spilling out, but Margot's not at all that sympathetic until LJ tells her that she cares deeply for what Margot thinks of her. Margot gets upset and says she doesn't feel needed like she used to be since she's come home and everything's fine. 
They're both crying now and reconcile. Boy, am I exhausted and deeply grateful that I only have one brother. I got real angry at that scene where he doesn't believe her because she has done nothing, as far as I can tell, pretty much in her whole life for him to not believe her about yeah. that. And I'm like, that's not fair. I think it's because it came from Margot. Yeah. And he really trusts Margot. Um, also, I wrote in here that I feel like uh, there should be more teen books that kind of normalize teen sex. I think so, too. Like, they don't need to glorify it, but it's a thing. It is and a we, thing. we should acknowledge that that is a thing that people experience, and we should then instead be like, you know, and show, you know, a full spectrum of it. But the whole, like, virginity is a, is a pure, important, like, valuable thing. It's like, for some people, and then for other people, it's not. And that's okay, too, as long as... As long as they're not doing it with someone who's like 30. Oh, right. Yeah. Like <laughs> but, my, like but my when, friend was. But when it's two teens, it's like, what are you going to do? Make sure they're safe. Exactly. Okay, chapter 71. Uh, it's New Year's Eve and LJ and Kitty shuffle their dad and Marco off to parties. Kitty hounds LJ about being sad until LJ admits that she misses Peter. Kitty's like, so call him. And LJ's all can't. And Kitty's like, why? And Kitty, uh, and LJ tells her the whole thing was fake. Kitty's baffled, and LJ explains the letter kerfuffle, and then Kitty's like, um, oops, I sent those when I was mad at you for tormenting me about my Josh crush. <laughs> While LJ's fuming and trying to make herself forgive her crappy little sister, Kitty rushes from the room, then returns with LJ's hatbox. Chapter 72. Kitty starts to cry, and LJ forgives her, telling her she can keep the hatbox. Kitty says no, besides, she's put something else in it for her. It's all of Peter's notes that Kitty found when she was emptying the trash. She only read two, but she knows they're important. After they have their New Year's celebration with sparklers in the yard, LJ goes to her room and reads Peter's letters, finally feeling the difference between loving someone from afar and loving them once you really get to know them. She sits down and gets writing Peter his own love letter. Cute. How would you feel about this book, especially, like, the ending of it, if you didn't know that it was the first of a trilogy? I'd hate it. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, the movie is way more satisfying in the ending. It kind of combines the beginning of the second book. Okay. But not really, because they kind of change a little bit. So in the movie, it ends. Well, she she's like Kitty has her big reveal, and then like gives her all the notes, and then uh, she shows up to the school, and uh, Peter's out in like the lacrosse field, like setting up a thing, and she's like, and, and he sees her, and she goes like, "Hey, I have something to tell you," and he goes, "Wow, okay, what is it?" And she goes, "I drove here." And he's like, "Wow, hey, congrats," <laughs> and she's like. Okay, and starts walking off, and he goes, whoa, 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 wait. <laughs> and then she, like, has the letter, and he's all like, what's that? And, like, takes it from her, and, like, I think he just reads Dear Peter, and he's like, no, if you want me to read that, you're going to have to give it to me instead of, like, forcing it out of her hand. So she's like, can you turn it around? So she turns around and, like, reads, like, this heartfelt thing, or, like, a little bit, and then, like, taps him on the shoulder. So he, like, turns back around for her to say, like, I like you, and then... And then he tells her why he was in Jen's room, and it's, like, very cute. And then I was just like, what a good movie. Cute. Yeah, I'm sure I will watch it. It was just so well cast. Cool. I really liked everybody, and the dad was super great. So, uh, he has to go to school, and I'm dying of of allergies, so thanks for listening to Hello Fellow Kids. Do your outro. (laughs) Um, So, we'll be releasing a bonus episode for the second book. We'll probably tackle the third one eventually, if the second one doesn't suck. Um, I might... We probably won't do them back to back like this, but you know, maybe when the third one's coming out Uh, and then we will, I'll cut in at some point, either here or in the bonus episode, what we're doing for March. Uh, Until then, if you want to contact us, uh, you can email us hfkpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter and Instagram at hfkpodcast. Uh, Music provided by Ben Ash. Visit him at benash.com. Thanks and sneeze time.